All right, here we go. Welcome to the bomb hole, which is presented by Pub Beer and Run Through a Wall Smelling Salts. Best smelling salts in the business. Now, today we got Jeremy Jones hosting. How you feeling today, Jones? What's happening? I'm feeling really good today, Chris. A little bit of rain outside. That feels good to me, and I'm excited about our guest. Yeah, happy to have you in studio. Of course, we always got the legendary Silk D producing the show. Silk, what's happening back there behind the boards? Just hitting buttons, man. Just hitting buttons and watching. <laughs> and our uh, our guest today is Bobby Meeks in studio. Bobby, what's happening? What is up, guys? We're happy that you're in the studio. For the people that don't know who you are, uh, I'm going to do a brief intro. Bobby has had an incredible career as a professional snowboarder. He has graced the screens in the iconic robot food videos that shaped a generation. He was a high diver, which we'll get into. Uh, he went on to do some heavy bigwig industry jobs at Nike DC, and now We Are Camp. And most importantly, he defied the odds to get here and experienced some extreme adversity on the way. So let's get into it, Bobby. Let's start with high diving. Let's talk Speedos, dude. How did you get into high diving? <laughs> dude, Speedos. Um... Actually, Speedos were the reason why I didn't get into high diving or diving early, <laughs> um, actually. It was high school. Um, I used to do pee, like, basically, like, you know, Southern California. We have outdoor pools in Southern California. And uh, and so for I just loved swimming. And so swim class, they had diving boards. And if you do your swim laps, then you can do on the jump on the diving boards. So um, love jumping on the diving boards, love getting upside down and uh, – and so I'd rapidly swim and cheat through my through my laps and I'd be like, oh, I'm done. First one done. How, how good? Even though I'm a horrible swimmer. Um, and then so, yeah, I just got into it uh, just via PE class and dove with this super diver that was in our high school. He was already like the like chiseled dude who was the diver, typical prototype diver. And uh, I ended up taking ceramic class with that dude one time. And, and I was like, hey how'd you do that thing where you went upside down and touched your toes and flipped around and landed? And he's just like, you mean like a, a reverse dive? And I was like, yeah, that gainer thing. He's like, it's a reverse dive. I'm like, oh, okay, well, yeah, how'd you do that thing? And he's like, why don't you come out on the diving boards and join the diving team? He's like, I've seen you out there. And uh, I was like, uh, I don't know, I gotta wear a Speedo. And he's like, dude, it's not that bad. And I'm like, eh. He's like, if you don't, I mean, the only way you're gonna feel bad or look weird from it is if you are not wearing a Speedo, because everyone else is wearing Speedos. And um, so um, I did not try out for the diving team. I was still pretty, pretty. nope, not wearing the Speedos. But then, I don't know, I was intrigued, man. I still, uh, the Speedos were calling. And uh, I, uh, the next year I tried out for the diving team, um, got on the diving team. Um, and uh, yeah, just basically went on to two years in diving in high school, went to CIF diving like a, the championships. Um, I wasn't a very good diver, to be honest. I was pretty bad. Uh, but I was the best shitty diver out of all of them. Mm. So I was like, oh, cool. I got a medal. I got fourth place. You know, mm. it's like we had diving. It's like Mission Viejo. It was like a bunch of like affluent, rich kids that, you know, they grew up diving. You know, they have 10 meter towers in their backyard, basically. And, and I was in you know, Fontana High School, like, all right, cool. I'm going to jump around on this. You know, I don't. I want to do it two and a half, and couldn't point my toes, and you know, it was just barely. I was just 
I was just better than the shitty divers. Can you? What, what kind of tricks are we talking here? Like, I, I don't. I have no reference with diving. Are you doing double flips? I need some. I need some. Well, it depends tricks. on what what era you're talking about. If I'm talking about in high school when I started diving, and that was like most of it was just one and a half, so like back one and a half. Um, I had a cup. I had a, like a full twisting one and a half, and a, I had a two and a half pike, but it was pretty pretty bent in the knees, kind of flat footed, not the prettiest one. Um, and then, yeah, I had basically like one and a half in pretty much every direction and then a two and a half front. But um, it wasn't until later I, I, uh, when I basically joined like the professional side of diving that I, I really just started to absorb it and, uh, and get really good, like full lists. And then you're, then you're looking at like front three and a half, back two and a half, inward two and a half, reverse two and a half, um, reverse one and a half, two and a half twists. So you're, like going, you're going double front flip and then you're going into a dive. Oh, that's gangster. Yeah, so it's about one and a half. You refer to diving even feet first. Yeah. Feet um, first is a is considered a dive because you call it a, a gainer is feet to feet, a yep. single, but they call that a reverse dive. Uh no, it's it's it is a reverse flip. A reverse be, flip. Yeah, reverse flip. So a half gainer is basically what it was. So explain um, feet being a dive too. Uh, feet's a dive. It just a, it's just a rotation, just half of a rotation basically. I mean the preferred entry for any like you know you know Olympic or college or whatever you want to dive collegiate diving is head first. Mm-hmm. You go you can't really go to the next level landing feet first. It's not really acceptable. Um, it's like something you do when you're in like elementary or whatever you're learning dives. It's the st- it's the stage before you go head first. I got a question. We we let's say we go to the local let's say Kazi Reservoir here in Utah. They got some big clips. I've seen Jones. He can he can uh, destroy some some flips into the water. Can you still can you still fuck shit up jumping into water? Um, yeah, I think I could probably do some stuff. I mean, dude, I, I've got some like basic stuff like front flying front flip. Um, I've got a reverse two double. Um, I used to do triple halves, back one and a half, or back double double, which is like a back double with two and a half twist or two twists. Um, there's this thing called a branny. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's kind of like a round off handspring kind of in a way it's like you come around and yeah you do like a little thing a little twist yeah so basically when you got into high diving it was like you just do all of your dives that you would normally do and then branny out so that's like the that's the key to it is just like you just Mm. go up there you're like oh i gotta do a two and a half i can do a two and a half and then once you get into uh you know you come out of your two and a half then you branny so yeah i could probably do some some stuff my my thing is i was like professionally with diving what we used to stand on like you know, little one foot by one foot towers. Like right. it's totally different. It's like when you get to a cliff zone where you're like, oh yeah, you got to run out and don't hit those rocks. It's like thirty feet out, and it's like that's that's where I'm kind of like, eh, eh, I'm not really, really. Explain the pro- professional diving though, because you just said platform one by one platform. Yeah, what you doing on? But that? you're talking about. I mean, we're eighty feet in the air at this point. 80. We're not a ten meter high school program anymore. Like, no, that's thirty feet. Yeah, the 33 feet, 10 meters, it's, uh, I mean, that was like high school when, you know, they still run into those for the most part, unless it's a handstand, which I used to do handstands. They're not that, that crazy, but it is kind of scary, especially when you're up on, you know, 80 feet in the air and you're just like a one foot by one foot little square that you're standing on and you have to like somehow turn around and then do a handstand and within this confined, it's like in a photo booth. Imagine yourself in like a phone booth and that's like way bigger. Imagine yourself trying to do a handstand in a phone booth. Um, so 
for you kids out there that are too young, you probably don't know what a phone booth is. <laughs> well, yeah, the pool's just like a kiddie pool, too, most yeah, of the time. It's, it's right? about 20 feet, 22 feet in diameter, 10 feet deep. Um, 10 feet deep yeah, from an 80-foot feet. drop. Yeah, it's about 10 feet. It's like, um, um, it's about a 10-foot panels. So what basically what it is, you take the, you put this, that, you know, it's like, put it together. It's about 20 feet in diameter. They all attach to each other. And then there's a liner that gets put in. Before the liner gets in, you put a bunch of hay in there. And it's not just to soften it or whatever. It's just mostly to keep the liner from the weight of the water to just exploding under the whole thing to mm-hmm. have it more of a, a nice uh, a resistance, like, for the water mm-hmm. so it doesn't just explode through. So, yeah, so it's about by the time the high dive happens in the shows that we're going to talk about, um, it's about nine feet, nine and a half feet deep. So, I mean, I want to hear about your professional diving career. I've heard some some wild stories about getting lit on fire and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, man. We, um, along with like jumping from like 80 feet in the water, 80 feet in the air, uh, part of the show is a fire dive. And, uh, you know, I had, when I first like was introduced into a fire dive, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, where's the equipment? It's like, there's no equipment. You're like, here's your two hooded sweatshirts, here's two like sweatpants. Three, three <laughs> tube socks that you wear, and then some some uh, some welder's gloves. And then so what you do is you literally take the hooded sweatshirt, pull it over your head, tie it as tight as you can get that shit, and and then hold it with your mouth like like that the string. And then you jump in the water, and then once you get out of the water, one you weigh like you know like double the weight of from all that water that's just soaked into that cotton. And then, uh, and then they take a towel that has been soaked in gasoline. It's like a bucket that's on stage, and they just dip the towel and then just put it around you. And it's basically like either one or two towels, put it on your, around your head. And then they're like, you know, and then you turn around and you've got to climb up this ladder 30 feet in the air. And, uh, again, it's like one foot by one foot tri-ladder. So it's not like <laughs> just like slow motion. It's like, oh, my God, every step, you know. You get up there, and then you have to like stand there and turn around on a one foot by one foot platform. Um, you're like, you just kind of skimming around and you're still, you know, you can only see through this little hole. So um, there's two ways. I mean, after you catch your breath, okay, you're like, all right, I'm ready to, to be lit on fire here. I'm ready to, to do this. Um, there's a couple ways you, the fire happens. And one of those is prior to, prior to the show going on in between the breaks is you go up and one of the jobs is like in between is to go up and put a bomb up there. And we, they're like literally like little bombs. Like you would take back in the day, we use these flash cubes, and you take a like you'd go buy flash cubes like from old cameras, and you break them open, and you take that little flash bulb, and then you would stick that into a plastic bag, and then a ton of gunpowder in there. And so you'd make you stick that in there, and then you'd leave the little prongs out, and uh, you tie the shit out of that thing with duct tape, and so like make it so it's a real good explosion. The more duct tape you had, the more explosion was happening, or more compression. And so, and then you would take that up there and there was like, um, some radio wire that would go all the way down into a dude in the backstage. And, uh, and at one point you'd go like, okay, I'm ready. You know, you're heavy, you know, you're breathing heavy or whatever. And you'd give him the thumbs up, but then you hold your face and then, you know, it's a nine volt battery in the back and he's like, you know, and that's all it takes. And then it's like, boom. And next thing you know, you're like exploding in flames and <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and you stay up there until, well, actually, hold on. I'll tell you a second. And the other way to, to get lit on fire is like, normally it's like your backup. You've got this like uh, welder's 
like a welder's um, lighter that's sitting there mm-hmm. and it's like taped to the like or wired to the ladder. And basically you do it yourself. You have to like, <laughs> all right. And then, you know, it, it's not, it never lights on the first time. Or if it does, you're like, it scares the shit out of you. And, you, and then that throws you off too. But like, you know, you sit there and you don't know when it's going to happen, but you're holding your breath. And finally, when it does, it's like, same thing, like it goes up in fire and flames. And, and uh, the third way to do it <clears throat> is um, one of your, your colleagues in, in the Speedos has to climb up that ladder and with a lighter <laughs> and, and just like, you know, just try to light you on fire with all this gasoline dripping off of the and landing <laughs> on the stage. Um, and so it, once one of those happens, you, uh, you just basically like, depending on the way the wind's blowing, sometimes the wind blows to your back from your, and you literally can't see anything. Your, you, your hands are over your face. That's your only form of protection over your face. And you just stay up there until you can't hold your breath anymore. And, uh, or it's too hot and you got to jump. So, but it's a blind jump. You don't know, you can't see it. So you're just like, and you just hope that you put it in the right directory and, uh, direction and then you just you know rainbow fire all the way down into the water and you, you hit like a sack of potatoes man it's so heavy it's because you have so much weight and it's just like oh and it just sucks it's like every time sprained wrists or like whatever it just sucked um but i do have a funny story actually about that it's like so one time uh we were doing a dive show and i think this was in indiana or whatever and it's like same thing and i wasn't the fire dive guy it was somebody else and uh you know, didn't happen. The dude had to go climb up and like, all right, we need, we need a backup. Welder's thing is not working. Someone needs to go up. And, and these guys were pretty smart. They had like a, they had like basically a torch and they had wrapped this thing. So like, oh, we're just going to light that and then we'll carry it. That way I don't have to get up and have like all this you know, dripping on me or whatever. So he lit the torch, finally got the guy to light up, but Sure enough, all the fire is just dripping onto him, and he's just like, ah, ah, ah. And we're like, throw, throw it, throw it. And uh, he throws it backstage like this big torch spear, just goes out into the backstage. And it was like slow motion. It's like, and right into the gasoline bucket. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Bucket flips over. Whole backstage catches on fire, dude. Like everything. Um, yeah, and but, this is a carny type environment, right? Like a, a yeah, car- it's, a, it's a. I think that one was at like a, I don't know, like Wild World or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. This wasn't this wasn't a fair show. It's like amusement parks. Okay. Amusement parks. There's like amusement parks, and then there's fair shows. Okay, and the fair shows are like super carny, um, and I got funny stories about those. But they're like uh, just a, a head above the rest. You got rules and shit when you're doing like uh, shows at amusement parks. You know, versus like Carney's shows, you're just like, dude, there's, you're like, is that guy doing math back there? What the hell's going on back there? <laughs> like, <laughs> they look about that loose. I was always dude, they are curious. Loose. Yeah. Yeah. What a good way to make a living. You're like, what do you, what do, you do for work? Right. Uh, well, I, I get lit on fire and I jump off of 80 foot tower into a tiny pool, actually. And like, <laughs> <laughs> I always yeah. thought that was the coolest thing. I love that about you. Dude, it's always so fun to bring up. Well, the crazy thing is, is too, with those tanks of water, they don't have like a filtration system or anything like that. It's like literally like it's so murky and just like that gasoline, you dive in that gasoline and water like for the whole day, you know, oh. until, and we don't have chlorine either. We never had chlorine. So we would just go buy jugs of bleach, Clorox bleach, and you would just dump it all in there. And then like, you know, a couple hours later, we're like, hey, back to normal. Here we go. 
You know, I think snowboarding so could take loose. a page out of that, honestly. I like, think so. We, we need to light each other on fire and hit some kickers. I think that would be a good direction to go. They do uh, well. They yeah. do well on the gram. Yeah, that would that would perform well. Anything with fire. All right, well, let's get into a guest question from none other than Blue Montgomery. Here we go. What's up, bombhole? You know, it's funny how true friendships are formed. Bobby, I remember the day we met. It was about 30 years ago now. You walked into a room and said... Hey, my name's Bobby. I said, hey, my name's Blue. Then I puked cake beer and Jägermeister all over the floor. <laughs> Got a little bit on your leg. But you didn't even flinch, and we've been thick as thieves ever since. <laughs> we kind of found our way in the world together, I guess. I became an ordained minister just to get you married, and I'm not sure what it says that our dogs are brothers, but it says something. As you know, I know you well, and I know parts of your past that most people don't. I think an important part of your story is one of facing extreme adversity as a kid and defying the odds. So I wanted to ask if you'd share a bit of that to whatever extent you're comfortable. You know, just what your childhood looked like and what role snowboarding played in forming the incredible person you are today. Wow. That's a good dude right there. The over 30 years of friendship. Uh, I met him in uh, PB, I think. It's like came down him and Brad Chaffel and those dudes drove down. It's the first time I met, the, met those dudes. Uh, childhood, yeah. Um, it was a pretty rough... I had a pretty rough childhood. I mean, I wasn't like, you know... Um, wasn't going to juvie or anything like that or uh, came from like, I don't know, people definitely had it worse than I did. But I do think that like I went through some diversity or adversity, sorry, adversity. Uh, I went through some adversity as a child. You know, I was a wild kid. Like I literally had no parents, like for the most part, you know, um, my mother had me when she was like 20 years old. So she was a young mom. Uh, my mom struggled with like addiction problems her whole life for the most part. She was kind of a partier. Um, and, uh, so, uh, as a kid, you know, I just kind of was a wild kid. I didn't really, I just r roamed free. Like, you know, my mom, for example, like my mom would give me a note about like, you know, Hey, I need a pack of marble lights or whatever. And, uh, I would take that note naked over. I just walk like five blocks to the store and just be like, yeah, here's five bucks or here's, you know, and just buy those and come back. Like I didn't have like, there wasn't, I mean, it was a different time then. Right. So, um, you back then you didn't always know where your children were or what they were doing. <clears throat> um, so for me, it was a little, uh, yeah, it was a little rough. I bounced back and forth between Arkansas and California, which are like two opposite sides of the spectrum. And, uh, you know, my mother, she was, you know, like I said, she had addiction problems and, uh, she ended up like, she was, a, she's basically a heroin addict and, um, uh, struggled drinking problems and everything. And so I battled a lot of like, um, the battle of like a lot of, I didn't know my father to begin with. So I, was basically just being raised by whoever my mother was into at the time and uh, had some stepdads, most of which were either just abusive or um, some weird dudes that were kind of like uh, a little on the, I don't, I would say, what do they call it? They call it grooming, <laughs> grooming side of things. Um, you know, not, unfor you know, fortunately I didn't get any uh, 
you know, didn't go any further beyond that, but like it did have an effect on my childhood and, and the fact that I just needed to get out of the house. I needed to get out and I needed to do things. And because I was so adamant about getting out of the house, I was just running around the neighborhoods insane. So like, you know, I mean, I was, I'm trying to think of an example, um, examples like, I mean, I was always a class clown as a kid. I was always looking for attention. Like it didn't matter like what, what kind of attention it was as long as I got some attention out of it. And, uh, so one, one example of like when I was living in Arkansas, like I, uh, and this is, I'm not proud of this obviously, but, um, I, (laughs) I threw a spear at a girl that I made, uh, with a steak knife. Um, and, and it hit her in the arm. Like she, at the point I had like all these like dudes behind me and we were throwing this, like we had made the spear with a steak knife and I was just like, yeah, you know, it's like Lord of the flies vibe, you know? And, uh, I threw, I go, I was throwing it at this target and this girl that we didn't really like, she was a little older or whatever. And she stood in front of it and she's like, you know, what are you doing? You're in trouble. I'm telling blah, 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 all this stuff. And I just was like, shut up. I just threw this thing at her. And you know, back in the kid, you're almost like, I don't know, I think it was like 11 years old, 10 years old or something like that, hit her right in the bicep, fully stabbed her. Um, luckily, it hit her in the bicep, and luckily it didn't hit her anywhere else. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, – I got in a lot of trouble for that, and deserve, deservingly so. You know, I got the shit kicked out of me, and then I also had to clean a, a whole brick – like a rock wall with a toothbrush for like, I don't know, 24 hours or something like that. Um, there was that, and I mean, I'm just giving you guys examples of how my childhood kind of went a little bit. You know, I, I had an abusive, uh, stepdad that used to be, um, truck driver at the time. And so he would come home and he'd tell me, he'd give me all these things like, Hey, this is what you need to do. It needs to be done by the time I get, by the time I get home. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. So, um, you know, example of like, and if you don't get it done, then you get the shit kicked out of you. You know, mm. it's like, you know, I, the big thing for him was always like, all right, cool, go find yourself a stick. You know, that's that's what you're going to get hit with. You know, you're going to get the shit whipped out of you with the stick. So you got to go find a stick. And so, like, you, you know, I just bring back like a little twig or something. Here you go. It's like, get your ass out there and find another stick, you know. And so I'd have to go out there and find a, you know, a sizable stick to get my ass whooped with, um, which was an interesting thing. Mm. Um and so one time I, I like I told I mean I was terrified of this dude so I like cut the yard I couldn't get the lawnmower to work so I was just, like cutting with scissors like all day long cutting the lawn trying to get the lawn to look like I cut it <laughs> like with a with a lawnmower you know and then when he came home I'm just like terrified to tell him that like the lawnmower wouldn't work I couldn't get it to work um, yeah so I mean like I came from a pretty pretty abusive childhood like my mom. Uh, I mean, I'm 12 years old, 13 years old, watching my half-sister for days. Cops are pounding on the door. Um, I'm hiding my sister under the bed with me to be like, shh, shh. And they're like pounding on the door, lights in, in the windows, trying to find my mom, you know, like she's wanted. <laughs> uh, she's going to be arrested, you know. And there's a lot of... Uh, that's just a little bit of that, you know, in a sense of like, that's what I went through. And like I said, like we weren't, you know, we weren't in, I mean, we were poor, you know, I lived in Arkansas. I lived in like trailer homes. Like that's what we lived in, you know? And it's a part of the side of the family that like, there's a side of our family that got their shit together and then there's a side that wasn't. 
really quite together. And my cousin, my or my like second cousins who were kind of like like brother figures to me in a way, older brother style. Like when the, when they were around, it was like oh, like they would kind of help steer me in the right direction. But when when it was like when they were gone, it was just like free for all, Lord of the Flies again. Mm. So um, I mean, when. I, <laughs> I'll tell you a story about high. One time, I was in in uh, sixth grade, and uh, and like I said, like I've always been a class clown. But um, one time, it got me in re- real bad trouble. Um, one time, I, I had math class, and this teacher was an asshole. <laughs> I mean, no, like he was just a dick. Like that's that's who he was. And so, but he was a smart dick. He like one time I was acting up, and he's like Bobby get outside, put me outside, like, and there's a courtyard, so I'm out there, and I'm just standing outside of class, and I'm just waiting, in uh, sixth grade, just sitting there, standing there, and uh, it's windy, I'm bored, I climb up the wall, there's windows up top, and I'm looking in, you know, kids are laughing and joking, I'm like popping up and down, popping up and down, and then uh, I climbed up a trash can in order to get on that, so on my way back down, I knocked over the trash can, it was a metal trash can, Windy day, courtyard, the trash just blew everywhere, all over the yard. And so, uh, like I said, he was a smart dick, brings me in there, he pulls me in, and he's like, tells the class, he's like, this is what happened, and this is Westminster. And he goes, this is what happened. He just knocked trash all over the courtyard, and I want you, you, and you to go help him pick it up. Guess who those were? They were the gangster kids in our in our school three of the number one gangster kids in our school and these kids had to go out and they were like peewee west peewee 13 or something like that whatever the gang is out there they're probably still around but uh they he's like yeah you guys got to go help it up and those kids had to go help it up and i had to run home every single day with those dudes chasing me every day and and like I don't know, it got to a point where it was comical in a way because I was, like, so much faster than they were. And I there was one of them that was, like, a little heavier set, and he'd be, like, fat kid running, chasing me down, and I'd turn around, and I'd backpedal a little bit, hopping over walls, and, like... And then one day I got caught, actually. We hopped over a wall, um, and I had a, a little bit of an older friend, and he was, like, just picking me up from school that day for really weird, so we walked home, and I, I hop over this wall, and there's a... There's literally a whole gang of kids, a whole gang standing there. And this one dude, he's, and he's the kid who hates me. And like, I had to fight this kid in front of all of these dudes. And it was just me and him in this field. And I'm just like, oh God, you know, and like, you know, 13 years old. And uh, yeah, I had to just go, you know, toe to toe with this kid. And then like, at one point, you know, I'm not a fighter. I'm, you know, I'm a lover. But at one point I was like, on, I was winning. And uh, this, my buddy goes, yeah, Bobby. And this dude, this huge guy turns to him and goes, shut up, wham, and just broke his nose. Instantly, blood went everywhere. And like, we were just like, oh. And then at that point it was just scrambled. Like everyone just bailed out. We were just like, Pew. and then, and then uh, those kids caught me again one time, uh, in PE class and I was out in the field and we had to go fight the little main head, the main dude. Um, and after that, it was just kind of like, we just kind of, I don't know. It was like more of a mutual respect. Like it's cool guys. We did this time to move on. Um, 
And, uh, and that was, I don't know, that's just an example, I guess, of like just the shit that I was always getting into, whatever it was. I mean, I ran away from home for a while and like, and then I chickened out and ran back and <laughs> told the cops where my friend was who ran away with me and, uh, totally, uh, chickened out on that one. And, uh, I had 75 rats when I was a kid. I don't know. That's an interesting story. Just kept collecting them. I don't know. Rats. So, yeah. Real ones. Real rats. Yeah. I used to go to this pet store when I was a kid, and I would, I would like go in with a sweatshirt, and I would let them crawl up my sweatshirt and the sleeve, and then I would just walk out with them, no and uh, yeah, and I just kept accumulating them. So I took this like um, bookshelf, and I put a screen door on it, just made this screen door, and then cut each holes in each one of the like shelves, and created this little condominium for rats. And I started out with you know a couple or whatever, and the next you know I had like seventy five, <laughs> and. Uh, and then I didn't know what to do with them, so I just let them out in the field next to my house. <laughs> All right, so what, what I'm wondering, too, is, like, obviously sounds like a rugged childhood, grown-up, scrapping, poor, like, you know, tough tough situation. How, how did you find snowboarding from that? Well, my mother dropped me off, me and my half-sister, when I was 14 years old at my grandmother's house. She's like, I'll be back in about a week. And I didn't see her until her funeral, like over 12 years later. And wow. so, but at that time, I, I went to go uh, over to my aunt and uncle's house and they had this plan that they hadn't told me yet or whatever, how they were going to keep me. And my sister had to go live with her, her dad. So, um, yeah, they took me in. And at that point, it was like a whole different world for me. It was like obviously a, a family with structure um, that cared cared about your education, cared, um, and I rebelled against all that shit, <laughs> like, instantly. Uh, but they kept fighting, you know, kudos to them, man. They just kept fighting and fighting, and I just kept fighting and fighting, but I think eventually they won. Um, but also, um, at the time, I was living in Fontana, California, in Southridge, um, and I had I got a skateboard, and it was... Uh, I think it was an, I had asked for a skateboard for Christmas or something and it was a Nash, you know, and like, I was like, I didn't want a Nash. I, I wanted a real skateboard, like a pro skateboard deck or whatever. Um, but you know, we sanded it down and it looked like a pro skateboard deck. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so like I ended up discovering skateboarding at that time and it was just like, uh, it was something that just got me out of the house. Um, we skated just main, I mean, at that time it's like 19, like, I don't know, it was like 1988 maybe or something like that, or 87. And it was like, um, there wasn't anything to skate, really. I mean, the ditches, we had a lot of ditches. So we did a lot of ditch skating. Um, there was pipeline back in the day, so uh, in Upland. And we would just do whatever we could do to, to get over to, to Upland. But I think that ultimately skateboarding, is, it just helped steer and, and channel my, my energy and uh and my passion i just discovered a passion for it you know it's just like it was just one of those things i just felt like skateboarding is me i'm i'm a skateboarder you know even from even at that young age um i had a buddy who um his parents were fucking awesome man they were so supportive of him it was insane he lived right across from our junior high and his name is jimmy gonzalez kudos to you bud um and his mom and they owned like a ceramic business out of their house. And they were just like, you want a ramp? You got a ramp. You want a, yeah, we had an eight foot, nine foot ramp. There's one in the back, it was 11 foot. Like, and it was just, 
they just were just so like they were super parents and uh and and it was rad they were it was like that was our zone like so after school we would just always go there and we'd all just go to their house and we would just rip all day and skate all day long and eat just like junk food and doritos and just whatever and just skateboard like our asses off and uh and that's kind of what we did all through junior high and then um and then we all went to high school together he kind of stepped away from skateboarding for a bit but i i still kept going with it and then um we had a buddy um that lived across the street from our high school that had a skate ramp as well and it was just sitting right across from our from our high school so we would go skate at lunch um you know off off campus lunches back then but um is that where the front side flips came to fruition or what no that was like way later i mean at that time you were just like your big trick was like a hand plant you know like mm. you know i I mean, I wasn't a very good vert skater, but you know, you try things. You know, I tried like a McTwist and like land on my ass on the coping or something. You know, things like that. But I could do some things. I could, you know, fifty fifties and tail slides and nose picks and uh, hand plants and stuff like that and airs, but nothing like. So, so then, what led you to to get into the snowboard? Um, so getting into snowboarding, you know, like backstory of skateboarding. Uh, when I was like 16 years old, I, had, I found these two, just randomly encountered these two older guys because they had a girlfriend that was hanging her boobs off of the, this balcony at this apartment complex. And she, they were, she's like, hey, what's going on? And I was just like, what's happening? So she invited us up into these dudes' house. And like, and somehow we just instantly became friends with these guys. And, uh, and so one day they took us to go, like, we just all went to go skiing up at Mountain High. I'd never been skiing before. I mean, like, I'd never been to a ski resort, so I didn't even know, like, what, I mean, I obviously was familiar with skiing, but, um, and then we, I was, like, the whole time, I'm like, what, I'm like, what is that? Like, that, that looks like skateboarding. What, that guy, is that guy skateboarding? And, um, and it was snowboarding. And so everyone's like, oh, yeah, I think that new thing called snowboarding or whatever. I'm like, why are these things on my legs? Why, why aren't I doing that? I want to do that thing. And so it was fun. I mean, the skiing thing was, was fun for a day or whatever. And then the next day I uh, went to go skate this ramp with some friends. And, and uh, I was talking about s- snowboarding. And this kid's like, I got a snowboard. I'll sell it to you. 80 bucks. Black snow. Tip was broken off of it and everything. Dude, and he just like totally ripped me off. I mean, that's what he thinks. He thinks he ripped me off, but he didn't really. Uh, so 80 bucks. I had to borrow it, the money and like from my, my – uh, Older friends, come on, man, I'll work it off. They were construction. So I did a little bit of construction, uh, installing fireplaces in the summer for those dudes and uh, had to work it off. But, um, yeah, that's that's how I discovered snowboarding. And then after that, like, it was just whatever I could do, like, to get up there. I remember taking that black snow up there. I didn't even go on. I didn't even buy a lift ticket. I just went and hiked the the resort up in the main thing and just, just to see how I how it rode, you know. And I was like, yeah. And somebody asked me the next day. It's like, oh yeah, how was it? And I was just like, oh, it was cool, man. But it's it's really kind of sticky. Like, I don't. I thought snow would. I thought it'd be a little, you know, like quicker. And he's like, oh, you gotta wax it. It's like, ah, oh, okay, wax it. All right. So that night, I go home, and I get some wax and an iron. And little little known to me is it's there's an actual wax for it. It's not candle wax. So I poured candle wax all over that thing, dude just dripped it, never even scraped it, didn't do nothing. It was just like warty, like just candle wax warts all over this, the base of this board. And then I went up and it was even worse. <laughs> but, you need uh, to use an iron though. 
Dude, yeah. I mean, I, but I didn't know to iron the board. I just was <laughs> just like, you got to wax. <laughs> yeah, man, you got to wax it. So uh, that's kind of how I discovered uh, snowboarding. And then after that, it was just all about like, how can I get there? Like I joined the ski team, ski and snowboard team at the time in high school. Um, it's funny, I like scrounged enough money to go on a snowboarding trip, like with this company called LA Ski and Sun Tours. And at, at the time, I mean, they were doing, they were the biggest thing in all of like, like school trips basically for any type of ski stuff and snowboard stuff. And so I hopped on a, you know, I got on one of these, these trips. I think it was the Colorado actually. And, um, I had become pretty adept at snowboarding at that time. I mean, I could cruise around, whatever. And the guy who owned the, owned the company was on that trip and he was like, Hey, he's like, you're pretty good, man. And he's like, well, you should ride for us. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, like, what do I, what's that mean? And he's like, I'll give you discounts on, on trips. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, I mean, that's technically kind of like my first sponsor in a way was like this company called LA Skin Sun Tours out of high school. And uh, it was pretty crazy, dude. Like I would go on these trips and I'd meet other snowboarders and it wasn't a lot of us, right? So one of the dudes, uh, this dude, uh, Brian Aguchi, probably heard of him, um, little legend, um, met him on these trips as well. And that's the that he was the other person that they, they also sponsored mm. at the time. And when I met him, he was already, dude, he was already so good. He was like trying backflips and shit. And like, he tried a double backflip in on one of these school trips. And I was like, what the, I mean, it was at the time, it was like, I don't know. Unheard of. Yeah. Unheard of. And then so, but, uh, yeah, he was on, he was riding for like checker pig or something back in the day. Uh, and then we, yeah, we just go on these trips. I mean, I, I was a year younger than he was or whatever. So I didn't go to the same high school as him, but we meet up on trips and stuff. It's pretty fun. And back then, you know, you saw a snowboarder, you guys were, you know, it wasn't any beef. There was never beef. Like for, if you were a snowboarder, it didn't matter who you were. You were a friend, you were a homie. Same back in like in the skate days, you know, it's like, you just like if you you were so rare, right. <laughs> you know. So um, yeah, that's kind of like it started that way, and then uh, and then you know it's just everything I could do to just keep snowboarding, basically. Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and talk to you guys about the bomb hole. We got some exciting news. We just redesigned our entire website. We're building it to be a destination snowboard website. So we'll be uploading other people's content. All the best videos from the internet will be on there. So aside from Bombhole Podcasts, you can find all your favorite videos on the internet. So be sure to bookmark bombhole.com. Check it out. We also got a back-to-school sale going on right now. So anything that you purchase comes with a free tote. And we got some goods on there. We got the corduroy hats. My personal favorite, we got this sticker pack that's bursting at the seams. We got over 50 stickers in this pack. I'm a sticker nerd. I like slapping stickers on everything. So we... uh, we juice this sticker pack up, and we are also launching a new show next week called Bombhole Group Chat. We're going to have all kinds of people in studio. We'll probably have four, four or five people in studio. We're going to be talking about all things snowboarding, recent snowboard videos that are coming out, takes on snowboarding. So be sure to check out Bombhole Group Chat next Wednesday, and we appreciate you guys. Let's get back to the show. All right, we're going to take a break and talk to you guys about Bub's Naturals. Big news from Bubs. They got new branding on their collagen, on their all their products. How are you liking that branding, Jones? I think it looks good. They're always updating, keeping it fresh. It's clean. And I have been chugging the Bubs Natural Hydrator Dye. It's basically an electrolyte solution. You mix it in some water, shake it around, and mm-hmm. it just keeps you hydrated. 
which is nice. They also got uh, no artificial colors, no added sugars. It's made from nature, from all good stuff. And the thing I like is I drink about twice as much water because it actually tastes good. So uh, it's, it's good to stay hydrated out there. What else? Uh, what have you been on from the Bud, Bub's products, Jones? Man, from day one, the protein collagen. I mean, it's just a go-to for my bones, for my joints, uh, my skin. I feel better when I'm on it. So I just stay true to it, really. Coffee's a dope addition. Yeah, it just came Love up Bub's Brew. And uh, Bub's is just a rad company in general. So if you want to support them, head on over to bubsnaturals.com and use promo code BOMBHOLE. Again, head on over to bubsnaturals.com, use promo code BOMBHOLE at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. All right, I kind of want to lean into some stuff here. So, you know, thinking about your childhood, grew up around substance abuse, you know, uh, troubled youth, you know, tough from the parental standpoint. And, and I always think about that with skateboarding and snowboarding, how it tends to, like, attract people like that, you know? And w- would you say, kind of a hard-hitting question, but I'm going to ask it, would you say, like, snowboarding saved your life in regards to that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't, it's not even a question. I mean, like, absolutely. There isn't a, I mean, it's kind of why I'm still in snowboarding, and it's just because of what it provided me. It provided me an exit. Like, it totally saved my life. It saved everything about it. gave me, mm. it basically gave me the resources and the ability to get out of the situation I was in. So, I mean, you know, when I started snowboarding, I was so fascinated with it and trying to, like, everything I could do to do to snowboard, my, you know, my aunt and uncle at the time were like, you know, they were supportive, but they were like, you need to find a job. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is what I want to be. This is what I want to do. And, uh, and then it wasn't until I started getting like, they're like, what, you're getting paid to do this? And then it was like, ooh. And then they were like, you know, obviously double supportive or whatever, like of the, the situation. But um, it kind of clicked for them once they started getting paychecks. Mm. So how did it go? You know, you got that that first kind of sponsor where you got discounted on trips and stuff like that. What was the road to sponsorship from there looking like? Uh, it was it was interesting. I didn't, you know, like it, to be honest, at that time, I didn't think like, oh, this is where I want to go. You know, this is the direction. I was just obsessed, and it didn't matter. Sponsorship didn't matter. It didn't matter. You know, you always talk to kids. You know, pros always talk to kids. Like, how do I get sponsored? You know, it's like, and we always tell you the same shit. Like. Don't worry about it, <laughs> and it'll happen. If it happens, it happens. Um, and that was kind of what, like, the philosophy was then, too. I just, you know, just did whatever I could to uh, to continue to snowboard. So I got a job up at the resort as a uh, janitor, which I called the sanitational technician at the time because it was a little <laughs> more fancy. Um, but, yeah, I uh, got a job because you could work nights, and, uh, and it just it provided me the resources, the opportunity to snowboard during the day. Um, and it wasn't until like I was kind of immersed into it. And then I was like this, yeah, I mean, this is happening for me now. Um, you know, I tell a story a lot about like Bill Keller, BK, uh, you know, legendary rep out there and he like, and how, uh, Oh, air horns. Mm-hmm. Um, and how he's like kind of helped steer my careers as it, when I was really young, you know, took me under his wing and like, Hey, I, you know, you're going to ride for 5150 and then you're going to ride for Joyride and like, you know, it's it, the whole path was set, and uh, and things happened fast. So I heard talking to Blue Montgomery that you were, you know, in the early days of Bear, and it, you were one of the first people he saw chucking like nine hundreds and ten eighties and stuff. Yeah, I used to just spend a hit, basically. <laughs> uh, 
you know, this, I mean, Bear was like the, it was the best place on the planet at the time. I mean, like the, I mean, it's funny when you look back and you look about like, do you, rem- do you remember going to Bear at all? Do you, I mean, did you go to Bear? I do, yeah. Do you remember, remember the Outlaw Park where it was like, mm-hmm. dude, the the slalom course through the Outlaw Park that warmed you up? Dude, yeah. it was epic, man. That co- that park was so sick and legendary at the time. And so they would build these just amazing jumps, you know. I think they were on the forefront of, like, you know, park building for sure. And uh, and that was the place to be. So we would just go out there and just huck our meat every single day, like, just you know, in the morning, didn't care how icy it was. Just like, you know, you're 20 years old, 19 years old, and you're just spending it, you know, once you can get off. And that back then, it was like spinning. The only way you spun front side was off your toes. Mm-hmm. No one spun front side mm-hmm. off your heels. Mm-hmm. So if you're with snowboarding or snowboarding, skateboarding, and diving are kind of all in the same high school years, right? So what's what's like driving you to whip tens already and I mean it seems like you're kind of ahead of the curve a bit on the snowboard from from learning getting on that black snow and even understanding that you needed to welt melt the wax on with an iron like there was something in like intuitional about it for you well there's definitely a gap that I kind of just glossed over real fast but um you know when I and from from high school it was like you know I I had this ambition to move up to be you know be a professional snowboarder at that point you know once I graduated and then I didn't know what I was going to do and I all I knew was I wanted to snowboard and and then uh it wasn't until like um until like I got a job diving to be honest diving is what enabled me to snowboard and and it's kind Mm -hmm. of they they were it was like a symbiotic relationship because at the and back in those days you weren't getting paid enough to to just do one of the sports so then you'd have to find a job in the summer you know which um, for me, it was diet, putting speedos on and jumping from like 80 feet in the air. So like, that was what I did in the summer, lit myself on fire and ran around and like, <laughs> and that enabled me to like, to, to be able to get money to go snowboarding during the uh, winter. And then I went to like a job fair up there and ended up like getting a job, the janitor, like I said. And, uh, but that was a hard crew to crack, man. Those dudes up there, they were, they were ahead of their game and they were all, they were all like, it was a clicky clicky scene up there you know with Jana Mayan Jason Carragher like all the Rob Defoe like Travis Wood and Matt Donahue Jason Bump like there's so many Chico yeah Chico Brian Thien there was like dude there's so many dudes that came out of Bear um at the time Ryan Immigard like just I mean it was I mean everyone everywhere you look they were like good dudes riding so everyone just pushed each other everyone got the progression was really fast it happened really fast uh, it seemed like every day there was something new. Someone did something, and you, everyone was like, "Dude, did you hear what? What's his name, dude?" You know, like it was just. I remember when uh, we had talked, like as a, at some point we'd all talked about jumping over, g- gapping the berms, and you know we never did it. And then one day, Immigart run like I swear I forget I was in like the. I don't know. I think I was downstairs in like the cafeteria, and Immigrant runs in. He's like, "It's happening. We're doing it." And like, you know, ju- we're jumping the berms, and we all ran up there to go jump the berms, dude. And it was fucking crazy at the time. Like, you had to go in, and it was a super quick lip heel side for a regular footer, and so kind of slippery on the way out, and uh, high consequence for that for that era. And uh, and so, but that's the first time. I mean, like I said, it was like, it was like just 
the melting point of everyone. Everyone came to bear. That's where the first time we saw Devin Walsh, like, dude, this kid, like, this little short dude coming from Canada who was obviously super nice but really quiet at the time, um, we were just like, who's this kid on barfoot? He's, like, just ripping. And uh, he's, like, jumps over the first time, no problem, no sketchy, just over the thing. Second go, he's like, I think I can spin over it. Dude, he does a sick front three. And in mid-front three, he goes, oh, yeah, I got it. And then just stomped it. And we were just like, what? Who is this dude? Uh, You know? I don't know. It was just like, it was like happening like every single day, dude. It was like, it was like, I get curious. What, what was the fit back then? What, what was the, what were you gear? Were you rocking? Uh, we definitely had the big baggy pants, um, going on. Um, I rode for or this company called bald for a second and they made pants. Basically what happened was if you actually like bent your knees just a little bit, you had no feet. Um, <laughs> kind of, that was the style back in the days. I actually saw some kid up at camp wearing that uh, recently, so maybe it's on a comeback. I don't know. That was Devin's front three. I can, I have the his kit in my head. I mean, that gap went off that Dude. berm to berm. Yeah, and some Once people you guys opened short. it up. Yeah, it it went nuts, and people were building their names off of making that gap and yeah. spinning it. I mean, that was Devin's come out. Yeah, to some extent, you know. Dude, he yeah. I mean, we yeah De- that trip for him really solidified his name in in all of Southern California at least. Right. Uh, it was pretty insane. Um, so sick. So you ended up, you stayed in Bear for a while, and then you ended up getting a situation where you didn't need to, you made enough where you didn't need to work in the winter? What, what would, how did yeah, that happen? I, uh, for summer, I mean, rather. Well, basically, I um, I started getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's nice. I was like, wow, I, you know, I'm getting actually paid to snowboard. This is kind of nice. Um, but I got a call from Doug Palladini, actually, from... Uh, He's a fan still now, but um, back then he was a snowboarder magazine. And the dude, when I can't explain it, like, how, I can't underestimate or not, what's the word I'm looking for here? I cannot describe the amount of like fucking like excitement that I had in my brain when I got a call from Snowboarder Magazine to ask me if I wanted to go on an editorial trip. And I was the main focus on this trip, I was the only dude that's going so far. And like, I was just like, he's like, do you want to go? And I'm like, dude, this is a true story. I'm standing next to Jason Bump because Jason Bump and I live at this kid's Graham's house. And I'm like talking to him and I'm like going, you know, yeah, I could go on this trip. I could go. Yeah, I could definitely. And then Bump's like, you know, edging me a little bit, you know, elbowing me. And and then finally at the very end of the conversation, I'm like, yeah, can can I bring bring another ripper? And uh, he's like, who is it? I'm like this kid Jason Bump. He's uh he rips and you know, like he's like, yeah, yeah, go for it. I'm like, dude. So that it was Bump myself and I don't know if you guys remember Jim Moran. Oh yeah. But Mikey Moran, it was it wasn't Jim Moran because he was a big deal at the time. But it was Mikey Moran, his little brother. And so it was us three taking a trip up the 15 uh, and hitting all these little resorts until we got to Salt Lake City, the motherland. Wow. Yeah. Um, but it was a hell of an experience, dude. I mean, we had never experienced powder like that. It was insane. Like we don't get snow like that in bear. And, uh, and we just took every single park thing that we could think of and just, just did it all on. Well, we basically just tried to spin our asses off of every rock and just exploded in powder every, we, I don't know, like we might've landed one 
two things, like the whole trip. It was insane. But um, it was that trip where we had just kind of like an eye opener. And uh, that's the next year when we were like, dude, we're moving to Bear. We're, we're moving to, to Salt Lake City. Uh, it was phenomenal. Natty foam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. What year was that? Uh, that was 1995, I think the trip was, and then I moved in 96. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always interesting Big to see, year. you know, growing up East Coast, your West Coast, we grew up riding hard pack and ice and whatever, and just no interest in powder. And then, but then you go to Utah and then you got to figure it out. Dude, and back then, I mean, you guys had the most amazing winter last winter. It was like that every day back then, for the most part. It snowed like three feet and then sunny for three days. Like, that's like a reoccurrence every every week. And every year, yeah. yeah. Year after year, yeah. day after day. Oh, also, it was crazy. in that time frame, I'd imagine magazines and shit are like, it's not Instagram where you know what everybody's doing at all times. Like, pros are like mythical creatures, right? And mm-hmm. so so it see, Brighton seems like it's always been the the hot the LA for skateboarding like is kind of like Brighton for snowboarding so seeing the pros in person is probably cool I'd imagine even though you were one but dude it was like Hollywood man it was like insane there was always a faction right between and you, I don't know how it is now I mean like I haven't been here in a while but um it was always like Snowbird and then there was Brighton and Snowbird was like you had to have like a you had to have a nickname and it was always like oh yeah snow dog and and you know White teeth, or I don't know, people. Everybody <laughs> over there had a nickname. That was no dog and white teeth. <laughs> yeah, everyone had a nickname. They're actual humans, probably. Yeah. Um, but and then like Brighton was always just like the funny thing about Brighton was just like, oh, you you must be sponsored, you know? Like that's where all the pros went, you know? Right. And so you couldn't go Brighton without seeing like just like basically a magazine full of uh, of humans on snowboards. All right, Bobby, let me ask you something. You ever done a smelling salt before? Have you had a run-through-a-wall smelling salt? Uh, I did one of the Bombo Classic. Okay. Well, we're going to get into uh, run-through-a-wall trivia. Welcome to run-through-a-wall trivia. So the concept here with Run Through Wall Trivia is we ask you a question. If you get the question wrong, you have to do a smelling salt. Uh, and so um, we'll see. You have five seconds. It's kind of a, the idea is this is a rapid fire. I think we got about eight questions here. Rapid fire deal. So, you, whew, um, all right. Yeah, you know, you pinch it, give it a whiff. Jones, you want to give a demonstration real yeah, quick? Yeah, will you throw me a, yeah. a salt there? Mine are empty here. Oh, oh. salt down. Salt down, my bad. So, oh Jesus! Yeah, Snack a little. You want another one? No, no, I'm good. So fingers on the ends, thumb in the middle, pop salt. Oh wow, that's gnarly. He just went. You don't need to go in that big, dude. Brain freeze. Hit okay. salt. All right, here we go. We're gonna get into run through a wall trivia. Jones, you want to count them down on the five five count after I ask the you question? Bet you bet yep. you. You got five seconds, and then I'm gonna right as you do the salt. I'm gonna be going into the next question. Okay, so this is like this. The idea is this is gonna be hectic. Okay, here we go. First question. In Robot Foods Lame, you wrote to the band Postal Service in a song called Such Great Heights. What is the name of the album that song is featured on? Five, four, three. Is it just a one? Right, you got you to hit a smelling salt. The answer oh, is man. give. The, the name of the band or the album is Give Up. Oh, gosh. I should have known that. Yep. Question number two. What is the, <laughs> what is the record? For the world's 
highest high dive? Five. 176. Three. It's actually it was it actually went up. It's 192 now. Hit another salt. Oh come on! Ooh. I'm not that up to date. With that. Oh. <laughs> you didn't say what is it right now, did you? Current? I mean that's the it is that's what the record that's is. What yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you went again. Oh my god. Okay, who were the two founders of Nike? Five. Uh, four, Phil Knight three, and two, uh, <laughs> one. Oh no, this is oh, not man, good. This is. Bobby, Bill Bowerman is Bill the correct. Bowerman, I thought you'd sorry. get that. I thought that They're was compounding. They're compounding. Oh, dude, I can barely even think right, right now. Yep. I've got hit him, hit him again. Hit okay, him again. which basketball player went to Nike headquarters? There, which basketball player went to the Nike headquarters dressed entirely in Reebok apparel because he knew he didn't want to sign with Nike? Five. Reebok. Four. Uh, Matt Johnson. Shaq. Oh. You actually owe one more after this. You <laughs> need to a, hit he's another. doubled down. Next question. <laughs> David Benedict had Ender in After Bang. What song did he ride to in that video part? Five. Uh, cars? Three. Was it? Huh? Oh, video yeah. killed the radio star. The oh, that's what it was. Video mm. killed the radio star. Man, this is, this is a rough round for you here. Dude, I can barely... It's a good round for the ne- salt. Next question. What was the name of Big Bear's original snowboard park? We talked about this already. You have this. Outlaw. That's correct. You got one right. Good job. Oh. Okay. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not. This might be a fact check as we go. In the outro... Of after bang or after lame rather in the outro of after lame in the group shot of everybody in the crew, which robot is rumored to have his ball sack hanging out of his shorts? Uh, that is Four. myself. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last question: Who has first part in Nike's film Never Not? Five. Uh, four. Oh shit! Is that three? Uh, Giggy. Two. Austin. Austin. Jed Anderson. Oh crap. Mm. Wow. I haven't uh, seen that movie in so long. Underrated. You went both good guesses. You wow. went uh one for eight, I think, there. <laughs> no, two for eight. I see a no, trend two coming. For eight. I see a trend coming. <laughs> well, you, well it's it's you, that's the end of it. This is the last one. All right. Good stuff, Bobby. We're gonna get into a guest question. This is from none other than legendary photographer Rob Mathis. Here we go. Bobby Meeks, Rob Mathis here. I have a question for one of my favorite roommates. How long have you suffered from hypochondria? I have never met anyone in my life that has suffered from so many real and imaginary ailments. Love you, Bobby. Take care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to the point. Yeah, to the point. Um, I, 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 tell, I even tell the doctor I'm a slight hypochondriac. I do have some... Uh, I wouldn't say I'm full-blown, but... I my hypochondria is based off of real things. So like, have you known anyone ever to have Bell's palsy? I had Bell's palsy, but guess what? I had it twice. So I've had Bell's palsy twice. Is basically where your face side of your face just kind of dies for a little bit and finally comes back. Hopefully, there's a chance it won't come back. But I even asked the doctor. I'm like, hey, how many? You know, who, have you ever heard of anyone getting this twice? He's like, no, no, never. I mean, like it's like things like that happen, like. All the time, like I'm. Oh, I I have a pain in my stomach. Oh, next thing you know, I'm like seven days in the hospital with an intestinal surgery or something. Like, I don't know. I'm just like, it's compounded a little bit. But I am a hypochondriac. So if you started talking about like, oh, you know, there's this new thing out, I'm guaranteed to like at some point start thinking about that and going like, I wonder if I got that. I mean, what? what so what are the symptoms in that? <laughs> like, um, so yeah, I've, I'm a little bit of a hypo. Yeah, 
I wouldn't say full blown, but you know, I've had some some weird shit. Can we this is a total derail, but I want to hear about your experience drinking saline. Oh, the saline, yeah, that's a good. One. So, um, like I said, like uh, I've had some intestinal issues, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I went for my first colonoscopy um, scheduled. I think I was on a snowboarding trip, and then I had to, uh, I had to. To go back, fly back to, I think it was Utah, actually, fly back to Utah for uh, uh, my first colonoscopy. And I was coming back from a snowboard trip. Uh, it was later on that day. I had a flight in the morning, and I'm, like, supposed to drink this shit. And I have no idea how long it's going to take. This is, like, really before internet, you know, for, for the most part. So you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to take this six hours ahead of time or whatever. So I go to step on the plane, and I'm like, I'll just take it before I get on the plane. So I drank this saline right before I get on the plane. Wow. And uh, I, I'm i fine. I sit down, hanging out. Next, to, Luckily, I am like, well, actually not like this is a different one. I'm sitting in by the window seat, and I'm just hanging out. I normally get a window. I'm hanging out, and dude, as soon as they shut the door, as soon as they shut the door, I went, oh. Like all of a sudden, I just started sweating. And I'm like, what the, what the fuck? And all of a sudden, dude, just the gurgles were happening, man. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I spent most of the time, like, first had to go to the bathroom. Excuse me, excuse me. Dude, it was, like, literally, it was unbearable. I was so close to shitting my pants on the plane. It was insane. Like, uh, as soon as we got in the air, like, it didn't even matter. As soon as we were up and the, and the, the wheels went up, I was out of my seat and boom, running to the bathroom. And they were like, hey, like, you know, obviously it's like, you know, seatbelt on, you know, stay in your seat till we're at cruising altitude or whatever. It's like that didn't apply, apply at all. Like I was in the bathroom. It's like code brown situation. Dude, code brown. Red, yeah, total brown. Like I blew, it's like, you know, like those things have a, <laughs> anyway, it was like, it was just a continuation of that. It was just like, <laughs> like, <laughs> all out. <laughs> So, I mean, that's just kind of, yeah. And then I, uh, first one, it was just like, holy shit. Like, literally, like, wow. I go to walk back. I walk back to my seat. I sit down. And and, uh, and everyone's, like, kind of looking at me or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, man, oh, sorry about that, you know. Uh, and then, sure enough, dude, as soon as I sat down, I was like, oh, my God, again. So, basically, I got up. And I had to tell them, I'm like, I'm sorry, I got like a stomach flu or something. And then uh, I sat, I stood next to the bathroom the whole flight. Just... Seems like a hypochondriac's nightmare scenario. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> it wasn't the best, but um, learned a lesson for anyone out there looking for their first colonoscopy. Do not drink the saline before your flight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, that's a good... That's an important lesson. That's a good <laughs> one. Important lesson. All right. Uh, we got a guest <laughs> question from none other than Pierre Wickberg. Here we Ooh. go. It's a three-parter, mm. so just pay attention. Hello, Bobby. I uh, have a question for you, or a few questions, but let's start with the first one. For someone who's so good at jumping and spinning and uh, has great body awareness, how come you never taught yourself to push with your rear foot on a skateboard? This is mind-boggling to me. More mind-boggling than those who skateboard one stance and snowboard another. But that's a discussion for a, for a different occasion. Second, uh, what's your best clip you ever filmed? 
What's your best backcountry or jib shot you ever did? My uh, my favorite is your backside seven tail grab step down from Sonora. Love that shot. Third and final question. Would you rather have Justin Fronius serenade you the song from A Star Is Born under the influence for a month straight while going to bed or have cilantro with every meal for a month long? Miss you. Bye. <laughs> All right, you want me to tackle these one by one? Yeah, right one by one. Yep. All right, so uh, r- right off the bat, um, uh, I you know, it's funny, because before this, I was like, I wonder if I should bring up the fact that I used to push Mongo. Like, I think it'd be funny. Uh, but I did. I did used to push Mongo. Uh, my whole life, growing up in, in Southridge, uh, I used to skate to school. It was like 10 miles or something crazy. We'd, I would just go skate, whatever. And we just... I mean, back then, you just didn't know any better or whatever. So, um, so, yeah, I pushed Mongo. Pushed Mongo most of my life. And then until I got that Nike job, and I, w- I knew it was bad. And I skated a lot of transitions. So I wasn't really a street skater. And so it didn't really bother me. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, but it wasn't until uh, I got that Nike job of cruising around in skate parks, and I was like, dude, I can't push Mongo. I can't do that. I, so I had to relearn how to push and you can see it in my like style when I stop sometimes and like how I throw my board down or whatever. Like you can tell. But I now pushing Mongo feels awkward, which is I feel like I, I graduated, which is great. Mm-hmm. But um, it's still not like a flowy. The impressive length of yeah. a Mongo pusher mm-hmm. all the way to the Nike gig. Yeah, all the way. Unreal. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing more powerful than seeing somebody just charge mongo at something just a full-blown aggressive mongo push it's a confident human i, <laughs> I, I will say that neanderthal yeah. confident uh, um, part two best clip all right best clip um i think i, I probably agree with that back seven I, I i feel like that was like one of this i can't really describe the feeling of it it was just like one of those things and it wasn't like huge or talking about the like one that. lame yeah, the one yeah that, was that one's butter. I just, mm-hmm. I just felt like that was, and I remember Vile was up on top, and uh, I was like, all right, I'm gonna do, you know, whatever, and like I forget, he was like, he was tripping because, like, I, I mean, I was an okay snowboarder, but I didn't land everything, and like those guys were way better than me, and it was just like one day I was on fire, and like he was just kind of like staring at me, like, what is happening right now, <laughs> you know? And I was just like, I'm feeling it, man. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do this. Uh, I do a switchback five in that right after, dude. And I, I, that's the first one I ever did. It's the first one I ever tried. And I just landed it too. And I was like, and then after that, I tried a couple back nines, but I didn't land any of those. But I think that that one was probably my, that one had the best feeling to grab tail and just, you know, bow the knees out, get a little bend and just keep it there for a while. Perfect um, access too, the mm-hmm. pro access. Although backside 180s are like my, I mean, that's another one too, where you just kind of sit there and float for a while and you just kind of, bone it out it's like that's the best um third question is um fronius Fronius or cilantro cilantro. i'm going frony i'm gonna go frony call out to you bud um i'll i'll do you all day over cilantro take it you're not a big cilantro guy i cannot stand cilantro Mm. i hate it everyone knows that i hate it i'm probably the everyone says it's like the maybe within the first five minutes of meeting me you'll know that i hate cilantro and so Noted that yeah, Learn something new every day. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go back. To, let's go back into snowboard timeline here, because uh, let's talk about filming parts and whatnot. Um, I want to know how you. You know, we're going to get into robot food, but I want to know. I'm not super familiar. I know there's some standard stuff before that. Uh, TB10, TB9, I believe, right? And 
but I want to know what happened before that. Um, I filmed for like a lot of little companies or whatever that came through. I mean, everybody at the time of like the bear days was like, everyone was making a, a video, I think. Like, I filmed for uh, <clears throat> um, uh, Broken Penny List for a minute with Chris Robinson, you know, ripped that dude. He was awesome. Um, but like, filmed for that. I filmed for couple little things. Ross Steffi made this film called Children of the Corn Dog, <laughs> which was with Matt Donahue, super artsy, a little weird thing. Um, I did, uh, it wasn't until I, I got in with the, uh, with Whitey and, uh, and that crew, the Kingpin Productions, I started filming a lot with those dudes. And, uh, and I think that's kind of around the same time frame that I started hanging out with, like in, well, in Salt Lake for the most part. And then at one point I was kind of bouncing back and forth with, with Dogger um, here and there. Um, actually, no, the Dogger thing actually was before Kingpin, um, up in the Mammoth days and stuff, filming with um, uh, Todd Hazeltine. Remember that dude, Todd yeah, Hazeltine, by sure. chance? Yeah. What was your first Whitey part? <clears throat> oh, man, what Kingpin. was it? Uh, I think I, was it Substance? I'm not sure. I think Sexual Chocolate, maybe, I think. Maybe Sexual Yeah, chocolate. Sexual Chocolate, little clips. I never had like a full, I mean, like I said, like I was a mediocre snowboard, pro snowboarder. Um, I wasn't like a superstar, so I had I I was notorious. I had like uh, camera phobia, filmophobia. Like as soon as the camera came out, it was just like, oh, can't land anything, mm. <laughs> you know. And uh, so I didn't really, I didn't really have these like breakout parts for the most part. What about your uh, scaffolding snowboard career? I heard you had a pretty good. Yeah, uh, you want to hear about Florida? Yeah, I would love to hear about that. Okay, so for those of you who think that these mega jumps, these man-made ones, they've just been around forever, and they have not. Um, myself, Kurt Wastel, Jeff Hewitt, Jim Rippey, Tom Nordwall, um, Kelsey Grammer, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they all, uh, we got approached one time, and I think there's a ton of other people that were at that thing that I missed, but uh, Kurt Wastel, and... Uh, we basically like we got invited to Florida to do a, what we were told was the Super Bowl halftime show, and they built this giant like snow structure, jump structure with a quarter pipe at the end, and uh, so we all flew out there. And when we got there, it technically wasn't wasn't the Super Bowl. It was like in some like street by the water. It wasn't like there's nothing around. It's a parking lot, and I think they were gonna cut to the scene. They're like, "Oh yeah, we're over here with the jump, with the pros, or whatever." This snowboarding thing that was going to be a cut, I think. But it eventually, uh, yeah, we show up, and it, dude, it was, it was pretty baller to be honest. I mean, the structure was just crap and shit. I mean, there was no, it didn't even have fences. It didn't even have like a uh, railing on it. It was just like if you fall off, it, it had some, some, um, what are the, you know that. The stuff they put at like ski resorts or whatever, like the orange <coughs> fencing, yeah, that yeah. like plastic shit. It had some of that on there. But for the most part, if you if you fell off of it, I mean, like that's not stopping you. So, uh, but dude, the best thing is like we rolled up to that place and they were like, as soon as we got out of the van, there were groupies everywhere. It was awesome, dude. It was like, I felt like a rock star. Like we were instantly like, there was girls and everyone was like, hey, what's happening, pro snowboarders? And then like instantly we were like, all right, cool. See you guys back at the hotel. We're going to go to this, you know, to this bar with a bunch of babes that we met and uh, and just live like rock stars at the bar and then meet you guys back at the hotel. Um, but the structure wasn't the best structure. Like I said, like it had a, uh, it, it had a quarter pipe at the end, but the quarter pipe wasn't 
actually like a transition. It was like these like mm. angles that went to it. And the snow for it wasn't uh, was just like shaved ice. They'd blown shaved ice on it or whatever. And we had started hitting it a few times. And then um, at one point, I started feeling it a little bit like, oh, yeah, I like this quarter pipe. I'm going to keep going faster and faster. And uh, I went a little too fast one time, at least for my legs, and got buck, bucked, lost it at the in the bottom, and uh, instantly flew off upside down, like completely upside down, was flying like this. And not only was I flying upside down, I was flying out of the quarter pipe. And there was like a, there was a top of it had a, um, a deck, but it was about a, I'm going to say it was like a seven foot deck and, or like, let's say it's a nine foot deck. And then there was like eight feet plywood. So there was still framing that stuck out. And I don't know why I remember that, but I remember that there was framing still sticking out of that deck. And when I flew over the top of it, I was probably like, I don't know, 12 feet in the air on like a, you know, 12 foot, 15 foot quarter pipe or whatever. And, uh, so I was like 20 something feet in the air, going to land on my head, uh, over the top of the back of this into a parking lot, like blacktop cars and shit and metal and stuff. And, uh, somehow I, I just remember like, dude, I was going to get fucked up. I just remember at that time panicking upside down and just remembering the gap, the gap in the plywood and the framing could not see it. But as I crest and went over the edge of it i just went and put my put my arm in it i have no idea like how i knew where it was exactly but i it was just like bullseye boom got in there flipped over the side like just holding i was just hanging from this like quarter pipe at the back end over concrete and like metal and shit and just like you know, fighting for survival, basically. So then everybody at the end, like, they had to go, you know, run over and grab me. And luckily, I mean, I I basically came, walked away for a lot of scrapes, a lot of scrapes and scratches, but I was all right. Ended up uh, hitting it some more or whatever, but, like, dude, super sketchy. Didn't have railing. There was no railing at all on top of quarter pipe. What year is this? This was, like, 90, uh, I want to say it must have been, like, 96, 95, maybe even 97, Mm. sketch uh, dude it was deerfield florida and only thing i remember <laughs> i remember all the sketchy <laughs> shit happens in dude florida, florida yeah, it's always sure. florida it's always dude. florida for dude, sure but i remember we fucking terrorized that town on mopeds like we found a shop that would rent us mopeds me kurt was we were jumping those things off curb cuts and like we were mocking around that town for like a whole day of just terrorizing it it was awesome but uh and then kelsey Grammer showed up from cheers yeah, showed mm. up just in a limo, drunk as shit, like so drunk, stumbled out of his limo, put on some clicker boots, and stepped into a snowboard. And then everyone took a photo, and then he got he, him and his babes, and then he got back in his limo, and he left. No. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Speaking That's of clickers, baller. we got a perfect guest question along those lines. Here we go. Hey, Bombhole. Andy right here. I've got a question for Bobby Meeks. Question is, Bobby, what was your worst career decision and why was it choosing to ride for switch step-in bindings? I'll listen off air. Thanks. <laughs> uh, well, one, it wasn't switch step-in. It was um, Shimano. I rode for Shimano for about six months. Um, the money was really good. And the key to it was, it was right when step-in was coming in, Clicker um, K2 had already made... You know, they'd made clickers. Um, 
but Shimano had released their own, like their own binding on That's it. That's a so, mountain bike component company. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. Yeah, sorry, and uh, and so they were like paying good money for the dudes to ride these. And one of the guys is like, "Hey, you want to ride for Shimano? We'll pay you like a lot of money for the you know to ride for us." And so I ended up, and a lot of money at that time is like seven hundred bucks a month. You're like, dude. $700 a month, really? Uh, so I, the key was is, like, I didn't have to actually ride the clickers how they were. I could just – he let us put straps on them. So we just put straps on them. And he's just like, yeah, you guys, uh, you, you can't use a toe strap, but you can use the regular, like, heel strap and everything else. And With so, the high back and everything? Yeah, yeah. everything. Yeah. High back. We just modified the shit out of them. And then – but it didn't matter because our pants were so big back then. We would just, like, just cover them cover. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so – but uh, that was probably, yeah, one of my mo- most – my worst sponsor decisions, probably, but it didn't really matter because it was like such a short-lived kind of experience. Well, speaking of Andy Wright, uh, legendary photographer, let's give him an air horn. Uh, he has a photo of Bobby on the Circle Rail, um, and we're going to do some signed prints. And just want to make sure that everybody checks out AndyWrightPhoto.com. He's got a print shop. He's got so many iconic images. If you're looking for a good gift for somebody. Or just something cool to hang on your wall. Uh, go to Andy Wright's print shop, andywrightphoto.com. And then uh, we'll also have signed prints with um, Bobby here on bombhole.com. So I just had to plug that real quick. So, Well, I'm, gonna, I'm also going to say that I wasn't the only one in Rover Shimano at the time. Louis Fountain mm. was on there. Travis. There's others. MFM. Parker. Mm-hmm. MF Mar- yeah, like the dude. So He's, He told me, dude. I used to eat weak old cheeseburgers from under the minivan floor or minivan seats. You don't think I'm going to take this Shimano money? <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you need to secure the bag. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and also, too, it's like it's something like you can't really even see that, really. You know? Like, no, that was a good that was a good. Yeah, you're not wearing skin tights. Yeah. You're right. wearing I never knew you were on it. Yeah, we had bags. See? Yeah. There we go. What so before I know you as on K two because I'm a little younger. Excuse my ignorance. What board company were you riding for before K two? Uh, right before K two, I rode for Subtle. Okay, short you, lived. You don't. Yeah, they're a little subtle. Yeah, there's <laughs> <a subtle. laughs> they had a subtle impact on the industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean it was cool. It's kind of like one of the mo- like first kind of artsy board programs uh, a little bit. Donahue and Bump was riding for them, and uh, a couple Chico. other dudes, Chico, yeah. and like so we had like a good little like. Little program, we just didn't have any money behind it or whatever. And uh, I mean, they would be like, Yeah, you know, we're paying you this much money, and then you'd make money off your pro models. But, um, you know, ultimately the money stopped coming. But, oh, yeah, we'll give you like it's just the pro models. (laughs) And then it's like, Yeah, I mean, that just crumbled away. But before that, prior, I was on Joyride. Um, And that started in like 90, I'm gonna say, I think I was 95. Or 94. I started 94 through 97 was Joyride. And that was that was cool. Good just be, I mean, dude, Joyride was so sick back in the day. Mm-hmm. It was like like the shit. It was like basically like the capita of like our generation, uh, or your generation, so to say. Um, but yeah, they were just like progressive and pushing like everything that was attached to some type of skate style and and you know, they were coming out with like baseless bindings and like just they just kept pushing the envelope like what can we do now what can we do now boards that didn't have any like had just weird flat noses that you know who's on the team at that time um team um gabe crane 
uh, Hillary Mayberry, Jason Carragher. Uh, who else was on that? At one point, Dale Rayburn. Uh, D- no, D- I was right after Dale. Okay, yeah, kind of a bummer because I looked up to those dudes. Um, but I was really hyped. I thought I was going to be riding with those guys, but as soon as I signed, they were off. Maybe it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, all those dudes. And then um, I think uh, Jason Murphy was on there for a hot minute too as well. Yeah. So how'd you, how'd you get on K2? Uh, I got on K2 through, uh, honestly, I was talking to K2, uh, I think through a rep or something, or uh, I actually think it was Jess Gibson who was the person who kind of lined that up. Just like, hey, this, you know, He's going to film for Standard. You guys should hook this guy up. Um, and then uh, they'd made a decision. Their team manager left, and they were like, hey, we're not going to sign anybody, make any decisions like that until like we get a team manager in here. And at the time, I was living with Blue at, and Stone and J2 at the, at the Pink House, the, the bar. And, uh, and dude, Blue just all of a sudden one day was just, I mean, Blue had a career. Like, he was still, like, snowboarding at the time. And he's just like, hey, what's up with K2? Are you going to ride for him? And I'm like, yeah, they put, a, you know, they, they put the brakes on for a second. They need to t- find a TM. And he's like, mm. you know who he is. He's just like, hmm, oh, yeah? Like, pick your brain a little bit and then go, like, think I can get their uh, email address, their phone number? You know, drop my name on there? And so uh, eventually, yeah, I mean, like, he ended up, oh, in a long story short, he got a job and then he hired me. Like, um, at the time, like, one of the one of the reps was like, oh, man, what? You're going to hire Bobby? Why would you hire Bobby? I mean, he's kind of washed up, isn't he? And this was, like, right before, like, robot food and standard days and, like, all that stuff. And, like, and he's like, no, I don't think he's washed up. I think he's just had bad sponsors. So we're going to hook him up. And, uh, you know, I owe a lot to him <clears throat> on that. And then, he, you know, he came in and made some good decisions. At the time, K2 was struggling with image. Um, that cool dude. I mean, they had awesome guys on there, like Brian Savard. Dude, if you guys ever met Brian yeah. Savard, he is that is a, a gem of a human being. Um, and uh, they just were struggling with team, you know, image. And so when he hopped he on board, he's like, you know, basically, I wouldn't say gutted the team, but he, like, made some tough decisions and uh, brought in Louis Fountain, uh, Vile, Travis Parker, myself, and... Uh, and just, yeah, change the whole direction of, of what K2 snowboarding meant to K2. That was a total relaunch. K2, almost overnight, seemed like things switched, like especially with Parker, you know, and, and everything else. It's, it was a really cool era. Yeah, it was heavy. That was yeah. all the Canadian guys were on K2 prior to that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like a lot Savard of Canadian. Young, Kevin Yeah, Young. young. Dude, I wonder yeah. what he's doing now, man. Good dude as well. I'm sure he's ripping. Dude always had mad style. Yeah. So then filming for Standard, uh, which videos did you film for Standard? With? I filmed for uh, TB, I think I got maybe a little bit TB7, but TB, TB9, 9 and 10 for sure. Uh, and then maybe there was a little 8 in there. So, Well, we got a Patreon question um, about, I think maybe a fire up that one about robot food, Silk. What do we got? Yeah, let's do it. We got a Patreon question from Gromit Goes. They're asking, how often do you say Bobby Meeks, Bobby Geeks, The Realist? I think it's from Afterbang, and I say it weekly to this day since 2002 or whenever it came out. With Robot Food, can you give us some understanding as to why those films are so good start to finish and then in the credits? How did they go down that way to become some of the greatest snow films ever, and did you know that going into them? Excellent. Ooh, that's a lot in that one. Um, well... I don't get I don't get it that often. There's a few people who are like Bobby Meeks, Bobby Geeks, ladies man, you know, like uh 
which is pretty funny. I mean, I don't know. I get it every once in a while. But as far as, like, the success of those uh, films, I don't think, like, at the time, I, I don't really think we were uh, looking at it from a, a broad, spe- like, the 3,000-foot view. I think we were, we were kind of, like, just so engaged in it and uh, that it didn't really matter. I think the biggest thing for those films was, was like, in the biggest uh, reason for their success is the fact that we all felt like we owned it. And, uh, and we all felt like it was we all wanted to, to, to be a success. We all like took pride in it and we were all hyped on each other. The chemistry that like, and you guys know, it's like you go out on a, on a film trip and you've got a couple dudes that you just don't, don't, you know, gel with. It kind of, it's just kind of a bummer, you know? Um, and we all got along really well. So, um, it was just like, we all made decisions together. We all worked on the project together. We all created together. Like there was like, everyone took pieces of it and, and put their kind of spin on it, which was at the time just unheard of because it was all, it was all like, it was dominated by Mac dog and standard at the time, you know, and Whitey a, a little bit as well. And so like, but those were all controlled by established companies who had already had a formula and a format. And so when we came in, the main reason why we started uh, like basically robot food was because we wanted to get away from the norm and we wanted to be able to do things that we thought were fun and should be showcased and show a bigger story uh, and the creativity of snowboarding, the culture of it. And that's what we wanted to do because I don't know, it's just like how many, how many pow turns can you see? How many cliff drops, you know, like, okay, cool. Like, you know, we just wanted to have fun and film it because we wanted to make sure that it was entertaining. Um, and that's the same with like, the, you know, like we kind of, we leaned on music a lot too, you know, it's like, that gives you a feeling like, you know, you can't go wrong with like eighties, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, the eighties vibe of music and just like, we didn't, I don't know, we were just kind of paving our own way and just didn't really care what people were, were thinking of it. So and if you look around that time period, it was just a straight juggernaut of creative people where you have Nemo designs involved. And then you guys are all at the top of your game as like the pro snowboarders that everybody's interested in. And then you take this blend of lightheartedness and like digicam footage and then mix it with like super 16 millimeter, super A grade bangers. And it made snowboarding like you guys were super pros, but it made it relatable and lighthearted and and it was a, it was a, it was a little bit different than the videos Jeremy was in or or even like the, the all you know all the whole landscape of standard and everything you guys came and just that that three part trilogy is, is influenced an entire generation i mean i'm sure you get that all the time from people right yeah i mean i mean that's the biggest thing obviously like you know with me it's funny it's like everyone's always like oh yeah you had the you know such great heights song you know or whatever and it's just you know I think I benefited super well from the fact that I actually chose that song. And it was like when it hit, it hit, you know, it also hit for me. So that was great. Um, but I think that like, it was just a, yeah, like I said, like it's just, I can't really, it's hard to describe the feeling of owning something like that and being a part and being a part of that, you know, snowboarding is not a team sport. But there is something to be said about the crew that you're with, the team that you're with. You guys are all struggling, battling in the same, you know, for the same thing, even though it's individual, like, but you guys are on the same path and you guys are trying to help each other. I mean, anywhere from like, yo, dude, we're going to, you know, give me that shovel, you know, you know, you're, I mean, let me fill in that landing, you know, for you or whatever. It's like, there is a team camaraderie to it that is important to show. And I think like with robot food, it was all like, 
I don't know. It was just we just wanted to show everything, and I the and to your point, you just said a second ago, one of the the coolest things about it, and I think the the one of we knew that we had to have legit it had to we had to have legitimacy in it, and the legitimacy was like the A grade snowboarding. Like we couldn't you can't just come out with like a bunch of like half ass. You know, I mean, you can't now, but, you know, on Instagram or whatever. But, like, at, the, at that time, you know, these people are burning. Like, we're using 16 mil film. And, like, you know, we, you just had, you had to have the balance of it. And uh, so, you know, that's where, you know, in comes UC and Benedict, you know, and, and the Scandos that came in. I mean, everyone had their own, like, everyone brought something to it. But I think that, like, there were a few gems in our crew that were, like, dude, they had the hammers. I mean, and... You guys hold down the hammers, and I'll go hold down the like a couple of these little funny things, and then you guys can do all the hard hey, stuff. Hey, don't carry yourself mm. short. Let's get into yeah. some of these hammers. You're cutting yourself down. I mean, like for for me as a kid watching this, like the, starting it off in lame with your shifty off the jump, like straight air shifty off a big cheese wedge. We were out there. We're fucking every everybody. We're all trying to do shifties and shit. Like that was huge for us. You know what? What inspired that one, dude? That's funny because like that jump was. Uh, I remember I was with Inglesman and and I think it was Etree, myself, and we were up there, and I forget who else was hitting that jump. It wasn't the the best jump, and I was like, man, what do I do? I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to, at the time, you know, at, the, at that time, we had not turned into like, hey, what's your first trick? It's going to be, you know, your your hardest trick, because that's when the landing's the best. Like, we were just starting to get into that transition. Like, before, you would like, you know, you'd build jumps, and then you'd be like, oh, I'm going to tr- try it out first. You know, how's this thing hit, you know? Uh, I'll do a, you know, a front three or, a, you know, you rarely they're straighter. But I don't know. I just had this idea. I'm like, what, what if I did like a, a, just a backside shifty? And I kind of got like a, yeah, sure. I don't know. It was just spur, spur of the moment thought of it. And I think that's like mostly all that stuff, like all the stuff that's kind of iconic. It just ended up being like the spur of the moment, not really planned kind of vibe to it. But it was hard to hold on. <laughs> I remember just sitting there going like, dude, I am going to over-rotate and just get wrecked. Um, They're hard. It seems easier to back seven, to be honest, right? So yeah. much I'll easier. I'll take that than not grabbing and going MFM vibes on them. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a back five on it, too, that, that was way, way easier. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the other thing I got in my notes. It's like when I think of you, I think about the cork back five. That's like your, if you had a special move, I feel like that was your special. That yeah, I think uh, I don't know when they started corking out. I just eventually they. I think I just started accidentally dropping a shoulder at some point, and then they just kind of started corking a little bit. So, but I do think that like, I just love that trick. I mean, dude, it's like you sit in the air and you're upside down. You don't know what the hell's going on, and you're just boning the shit out of your board, mm-hmm. like trying to break it, and uh, and you just stall like in that little zone. And I, I don't know. I I think. Uh, I didn't have a huge bag of tricks, but you know, the ones I did have, I kind of, and hopefully, you know, kind of perfected. perfected you had that them. ultimate bone. That bone yeah. was so good and poke. Like you, you're the king of that. It was sick. Thanks. The trick worked well for that. The other things I think about too in uh, robot food too. It's like the. It's just like the quotes too. Like you know, we would drive around. You like you had that one from. After lame, you're like, I thought it was a horse when you're looking at a moose or whatever. Like, we, we'd be driving around in the van and be like, I thought it was a horse or whatever, you know? Like, all those quotable moments from those movies are so fucking iconic, man. Dude, I, it, yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it was because the camera was always rolling, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, that's one of the things I think people really miss and people should take note of 
you know, making films is like, it's, it's those outtakes. It's like the time that, that nothing's happening is when something's happening, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and like on that trip, we went to Alaska for a rail trip and just got skunked. Like, and so we were just trying to make the best of it. It was fucking pouring rain and I don't know, it was just like, wasn't a good trip at all. Um, we went to Alaska. We knew it was going to suck, but we went anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> is the quote, I believe. <laughs> Yeah. And they had Mike Bassage and yeah. Those guys got, they did kill it, man. They they were like sliding around and you know, we were getting updates about how many shots they were getting and it was just like, dude, come Stressful. on, man. And we we're like hopping on icebergs, you know, and yeah. like cool, right on. We're getting shots too, bro. <laughs> like, how did you know? Wait till you see the video. Yeah, jumping puddles in the minivan. It was great. Just as entertaining though. Yeah. Well, you know, you make do. You just gotta, you know, you create whatever you can out of it um now when you guys did the premieres for those videos like what was the effect when those things came out i think the um the premieres i think you know after after bang was you know received really well um <clears throat> for the premieres and this was an era when premieres were everything you know it's like people would travel all over the world just to go to a premiere i think that like I, th I think it took a second for After Bang to kind of hit, but it, when it did hit, it was it was pretty uh, profound. I think for people, just like whoa, this is totally different. Um, and so I think that those were really well. What was funny was you know if you look at like everything, I think the uh, After Lame was the one that we all thought was gonna like just. It's more kind of. A, it's not literally format of like a normal, you know, video. And so we were like under the, we were just all like, eh, it's not really that great. But it actually ended up being like one that a lot of people remember mm -hmm. a lot of quotes from. And it just seemed like a, I don't know, just like a good snowboard trip the whole time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I mean, we immediately saw success out of it. The, the fight and struggle was actually just getting people to buy into it in the beginning. You know, that was a, that was a tough part, uh, you know, trying to get sponsors to think different to brands to be like, Hey, like we're going to invest in this little company that's coming out called robot food. You're like, what? <laughs> like, I mean, no one was really, no one was on board really. I mean, we were selling it a little bit. Um, and then it wasn't until like Burton, I think. And then we like had UCN and, and then Travis was blowing up and then, you know, and then everyone was like, okay, all right, well, we're, we're in. Once Burton, I think, put their stamp of approval, like, okay, we'll give you money, then everyone else kind of followed suit. Who, who came up with the name Robot Food? It's a great fucking name. It I is. don't actually, it's, I think it might be debatable. I'm not sure, but I think I remember first hearing it from uh, Jess Gibson. And I think he got it maybe from someone, either he, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have the answer for that. But I do think the first time I heard it was from, from, from Jess Gibson. Mm -hmm. Because we had thrown around a couple names, and I don't remember what the names were, but we were kind of debating, you know, what do we do, you know? And then I just remember Jess going, like, robot food, you know? It's like, robots. You guys are like, robots. It's food for robots or something. Yeah, we that's like, yeah, going to ask what the meaning was. <laughs> yeah, but, dude. I guess none, really. Yeah, it was like, uh, you know, it's you're feeding the robots, you know? All these snowboards, they were all robots, you know? And I think that's kind of where the direction of it came. That's killer. Mm. Now, around that time with Parker, I think about the afterbang part, and that's when he had the K2 Muska ripoff board, and that's my favorite video part ever of all time is Travis Parker afterbang because you have this blend of, like, you know, Pierre did such an incredible job of, like, handheld digicam, 
of like him backflipping into a bush, follow it right up with a cab nine nose on a jacker, and then like some weird misty spinning around on top of a trash can. Like it's just misty song, and like th- he had the board around that time. I mean that that seemed like just a special era to be around that. Him and Dude, that it was so sick. I mean like. For a good, like, I'd say four years, Travis was, like, my best friend. He was, like, my travel partner. Like, we did everything together. And the funny thing is, is, like, we would spend some time together, and then we're both kind of similar in a way. It's like we're both kind of, like, life of the party, trying to be funny, and then jabbing at each other constantly. So, like, I'd find some, you know, wound, and I'd just stick my finger in it all the time. And that's what he would do to me. And, like, at the end of the trip, we'd be like, Oh, we went to, you know, Scandinavia or went to like Sweden or something like that. Hems it all for like two weeks or something like that. And then it's like, you know, you're best friends when you get there. And then oh, I can't wait to get away from this dude. <laughs> um, but we, dude, we loved each other. It was awesome, dude. He's such a, he's such an inspiration to snowboard with because he was just always like, I don't care what you're going to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to. I'm going to go do a little spin thing. And he's like, you're trying to build a jump over here and do something. And then he's over there, you know, messing with a tree branch. And you're like, what are you doing, dude? Like, we're trying to build a kicker over here, you know? Um, but he had his own way. And, like, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff, too, is, like, he was so talented. Like, you know, just the, the, his level of balance. <clears throat> I mean, everyone on that team uh, or that crew, uh, I mean, we found the balance, of, I mean, Insane. You should get him on here. Uh, but anyway, um, I think that, yeah, Travis was, uh, he just did his own thing, and it was really cool to watch. He kind of paved his way in, in a time where things were starting to get really kind of like cookie cutter. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, that couldn't have been said better, really. Mm-hmm. Also in that era, too, one thing I have a note to talk to you about is um, – you know, you I don't know if you call them fakie front flips or switch front flips. What do you call that trick? I call it switch front flips. Switch front flips. So, yeah. you know, I feel like those, those that was kind of illegal for a, like, right? Like th- those those tricks, those goof goof around tricks where, you know, you're going to get player hated on if you're going to do a front flip. I, I mean, but you guys had this lighthearted approach like where you do the the switch front flip on the cornice and the line and I don't know, just just tell walk us through putting in those fun tricks in your part. Um I think it's just like, you know, I'm a big advocate of, and I, I think this is a problem nowadays. It's like I have a, a motto I kind of run by. It's like just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people out there that should kind of check themselves, I think, <laughs> about that. But it's long, for me, it's like people, when you're doing it right, it's like you're just fucking around. Like it, that's the biggest thing about that stuff. It was never serious. I wasn't like, I need to get a front flip in my part you know like that was never part of it it was always just something that was like this would be so stupid on this you know and and it turns out funny and like and and next thing you know it's like a thing like so I think that uh in those it was never really a conscious effort to be like oh I mean granted it it does take a skill to you know to just pop off the ground and, and do a flip but the uh it was never like a a goal of that for it to be a trick like mm-hmm. it's it, you know, it's like the example, like the one where I, I do a, you know, a front flip and I land on that pillar and Benedict flies on into yep. the back. You know, it's like we just always put a level of like joy and just funniness into that stuff. And like that line is at the cornice. It was like kind of getting shitty light, and we were just kind of like, eh. and we'd already done, we already hit it, and so we were just like, eh. like I'm like, hey, film this, you know, it's just whatever, and we'll end up what it turns out to be. 
So it's awesome. Love that. Lo- love that making it relatable to snowboarding and like making it and growing up on the East Coast, you know, like I just think, you know, those tricks, sure, they're 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 no they're that's what they're for. They're to be having fun, they're to be lighthearted. And you know, we, if you've got a front flip in, in your repertoire and you're riding down the resort and you can just launch one off like a little mini side hit going down, it's fucking great. It's a great trick to have. It's fun. It's it's just it's like who doesn't want to do a front flip? They're awesome. So yeah. I, I love that you you put them in there as like clearly a, like a feel good fun maneuver you know what i mean i think that kind of snowboarding is a good representation of how you came up too because if you don't have things in front of you 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 need to make the run fun and so yeah. tossing up a switch punch front mid run on the flat groomed run that becomes fun and you don't always have a rail in front of you you don't always have a hip or something built right and you don't even maybe you're learning you know a flip on the trampoline and that's like something that makes sense. I think it's, I think that that's cool. Like someone's bag of tricks can really tell their story a bit. It's funny. It's a, uh, like I look back at snowboarding now and like, you know, obviously I still snowboard quite a bit, but the, uh, I, I think I'm a better snowboarder now than I was mm. when I was actually filming and getting paid to do it. I'm, I'm not a better tricker. I'm, I don't have better right. trickery, but I have, but I'm a better snowboarder. I look at the mountain better. I look at the terrain better. Like, I don't know. There's just there's an element of flow that that my brain back then just couldn't comprehend. It's it was just so like get to A to B, A to B. You know, it's like how many spins can you do on this? And like that was kind of the mentality back then. You got some turns in, and it was fun here and there, but it was never like you know camera off and you get to ride and and it's just that was what you did. You looked at the train. I just look at it different now. I'm like, dude, look at that right into that little tranny. Look at this thing. Like, look at that thing. And I just I'm like. I, if I see a cat track and there's a good landing for the most part and anywhere, anywhere I go and I got a hike out of it, I don't care. I'm like, I'm just like, see you guys at the bottom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just, I don't know. It's just different. Like, uh, it's, it's a fun aspect of snowboarding. It was fun back then, but to your point on the, like, you know, throwing front flips in, I think that's an evolution of just like, just becoming a, a just a well-rounded snowboarder and being able to be like, yeah, I'm going to just do stuff for fun and just, doesn't always have to be, a, you know, a cab nine or. Well, this is a good perspective as somebody's had a long pro career and then gone on to, you know, work in the industry and be somebody that now snowboards on your own terms. Are you having more fun now, or are you having? Did you have more fun back in the day? I think I'm having more fun at the act of snowboarding now. Um, I think I had more fun being a pro snowboarder, which is pretty fun experience in general. I recommend it, mm-hmm. um, it's, although it's not quite what it is today. Uh, back then. Um, it's a little, uh, different today, a little more, uh, um, a lot more on the line nowadays. <laughs> hey, hey you, uh, Bombhole does high cascade at it though. You served up a, a switch front over the pill, bash yeah. that thing. Still got it. Yeah. yeah. First try. FT. Yeah. Was yeah. that FT? Yeah. Tw- FT? First try twice in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Two to make well it true. Done. He did two to make it true. Some things you never forget. I think that'll be one of them. <laughs> um, what, what age do you think you're gonna be able to do a switch front till? Ooh, great question. As long as I can snowboard, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you should look for the record on that. Sure. Call up Guinness when you're like 80. Yeah. Yeah. Find I, don't, a, I only got 30 more years to go. Oldest switch yeah. front. <laughs> that's a good, that's actually a good topic, you know, for people that are getting older in their snowboarding. We're not as spry as we used to be when you're 18 and you can just get grenade on anything and you're fine the next day. How do you keep the, how do you keep the legs going as you get older? Uh, I've just found other ways to like, you know, it's like I can't go... I think we were talking about this off air. It's like 
I can't go skateboard every day anymore. It just like hurts, you know? Uh, so I just find myself doing other things to keep me active. Um, picked up mountain biking recently. That's like, man, that's so fun. The only thing that's different though is like, so you can go snowboarding all day and be like, you know what? How was your day? It was, oh, it was all right. I didn't have a very good day or whatever. Fell a bunch of times. It's like, that doesn't happen with mountain biking. It's like, if you fell, then you had a shitty day. Like, <laughs> you are, got fucked up probably yeah. and you got to go to the doctor. Great like, that's the only thing. You don't fall a lot, but when you do fall, it hurts. Um, but I've been doing a lot of that and then I've skating as much as I can um, here and there as long as my ankle will hold it. And then um, and then I do, I've, I've actually, I was saying, I, was, I probably feel like, Relative to my age, I probably feel like I'm in one of the best shapes of my life. And that's basically because I do these like prison workouts and I'm just as active as I can. And, and, um, you feel in trash bags full of water and, and doing, uh, bicep curls. That's what I heard <laughs> yeah. they do in prison. They fill up the trash, they fill up the trash bags with water. That's how they oh, use Oh, that's their resistance. Yeah. So, if, you know, oh, you're, like you're hard up on some weights, you know. Yeah. I don't so, have, that. that's what you've been doing or? I've just been doing like, you know, like push ups and sit ups and, uh, all you need is a chair. Basics, you know, basically kids, foundations. Yeah, just mm-hmm. uh, just something like that, and been doing that like every other day and every two days. Any just, butt naked jumping jacks or? Um, no, I have I have in my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I, just, I didn't mean to derail there. Uh, cue in photo. <laughs> I want to go back to the flow real quick and the way you read the mountain, just to highlight it, because I think it has something to do with age, because. Things get sore and, and like the way impact fills in your head as you approach something, like you start to take note of those things. So do you think that that the way you see the mountain and the way that you view yourself as a better snowboarder now has something to do with that? Because you're looking at things that are like you just said, a cat track to a good landing, like you're there, that yeah. nothing's going to stop you from kind of going over there. Or you're looking at a kicker to a transition to land in. Like you're always sniffing it out just a bit different than the A to B approach when we were filming and just pro mode. Well, I feel like it also too when you film, you were always just like, you get on, you know, you start at five in the morning, you know, you got to load your sled onto the car, onto the trailer. Uh, you got to go to the spot. You got to like, all your homies are with you. You're trying to find where you, you know, a landing. The first thing you find is a landing. Then you, you know, you try to figure out how to get to it. Um, but I think it's just a little more of a, um, it's, it's more of a process and not so natural vibe to it. Like, um, like snowboarding when I go up on the mountain now, I just, I just, I'm constantly scanning, constantly looking for some type of transition to land on. And at all times, like I, I mean, I'm kind of guilty. Well, I don't want to say I'm guilty, but I'm like, I've, like Andy Wright, dude, he spent all of, I mean, he's been snowboarding forever. You know, he used to be a pro snowboarder at one point for Nitro, and then he got into photography, and, you know, now he's one of the most prolific snowboard photographers we've ever seen in the industry. But, like, he didn't get to snowboard a lot. He, had, mm-hmm. I mean, he went on all these trips, and like, but it was always just, a, you know, he had a backpack on, you know, like a little 60, a 60 pound backpack on his back. And so, now it's like I he's one of my my homies that I snowboard with a lot and he is just like a little kid in the candy shop now. You, I try to pull him off the mountain. He's like, no, I got to get 10, 10, 10 runs in, 10. And I'm like, dude, it's crappy out, man. It's like icy. Let's bail. He's like, no, 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 10, 10, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think it's like that. It's just the, it's more just the perception or the perspective of it. It's like, how are you finding your your kind of adrenaline? Like, how how are you connecting the dots on that and like for me it's 
it's airtime. I'm sure I'll go turn around and rip around. That's fun. But like, I don't think I, if, if I could, if someone told me today, it's like, Hey, you, I mean, you can snowboard the rest of your life, but you won't be able to catch any air. I'd probably be like, okay, I'm done in a week. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, you know, I, I, I just can't, I just love flying through the air, you yeah. know, and, uh, and snowboarding provides that, you know, and it's like, you know, I'll go down Ridge Run over at Hood and Meadows and just be like, you know, it's a pow day. And it's just like, you just send it, you'll find the transition, like at some point, you know? Um, but that's like, that's just the way I look at it now. And it's like, you know, go, to go back to like when you're with the crew, you're just, you're in a structured kind of, like I said, point A to point B. You're looking for, you found your point B. You Now you're trying to find point A to start. And so you spend all your day just looking for the jump. And then you get a chance to try your tricks and hope that you land them, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, and that's your warm up. <laughs> you know? And you spend a total of like a minute on your snowboard over the yeah. course of the day, riding full speed into a wedge and ejecting off of the kicker. Yeah, you get no, there's no warm up. Yeah. <laughs> the warm up is the slide in, you know, you're <laughs> slipping. <laughs> that's like, that's the warm up. And that's just different. I don't know. It's just, a, it's a, like I said, I don't miss the lifestyle of a pro snowboarder, but I, but I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm no longer in like the game of it. So, mm-hmm. well, speaking of the game, I think it's time to get into a fan favorite of the show that we like to call Name That Video Part. Oh, God. Name That Video Part is presented by Woodward. We have Woodward Park City up here in Utah. It's 15 minutes away from Salt Lake City. And they got everything from beginners to top pros. They got big jumps. They got small jumps. They got a bunny hill to learn how to ride. They got mountain biking in the summer. They got parkour if you want to go learn how to do flips into foam pits. Uh, They got the kicker into the foam pit if you want to learn fakie front flips. Uh, Really great place to go all the way from beginner all the way to, you know, as, as good as you want to be on a snowboard, BMX bike, mountain bike, skateboard. You know, it's just a great facility for the next generation. So if you're in Salt Lake, be sure to check out Woodward up at Park City. And uh, with that being said, let's get into name that video part. Now, what is your confidence level, Bobby? Zero. zero. Oh, zero. Mm. Zero. Wow, I love that. <laughs> love that for you. How do you think? Confidence zero. Well, how do you think he's going to do, John? Uh, I think he'll. I'm going to give him. I think he's got it. You think he's you got, think it? I think I got, he's got it? it. I gave him a meatball. I think, but I'm biased. Yeah. All right, let's see, uh, let's see your fate here, Bobby. If this mm. was an email, I'd get it in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> what is the <laughs> sign-off tagline at the end? All right, here we go. Up in the head, I mean. Bought the chick diamonds and pearls, I mean. Should have seen the ice shining on the wrist. Is that Justin Benny? <laughs> That's correct. Nice. Do you wow. know the, do you know the movie? Zero. You know um, the movie? Is that... Uh, is it a Nike film? Yes, yeah. it is. Congratulations. Nike Never Not, Justin Benny. Get yourself a bomb hole prize Dude, pack. you did give me a meatball. Yeah, I, I mean, don't know. Wow. It was actually more clutch than I was expecting. That was yeah. good dude, that you got that one, I, actually. I, dude, I did not sleep well last night because of this segment. Yeah, really? it's common. Yeah. Pre-name that dude, video party anxiety. Is, it's a lot of hypochondriac struggle with that, actually. <laughs> it's a common issue. Yeah. Uh, most, common struggle. Most are... 
people come in here like breathing into a brown paper bag. So congratulations. Dude, um, I am fired up now. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. <laughs> All right. Now the rest should be easy. Uh, part two, name that video part for the listeners. If you know the song, comment on the photo of Bobby on Instagram. Uh, we need also, I want to clarify. Uh, this is important. I get this because because uh, Holden does our social media. He he sifts through all this, so he picks the winner. So, you know, he wanted me to say it's really important that you say video and video part like the rider as well. It's you can't just do name the rider. It's got to be rider and video. So, here we go. Okay, thank you guys for playing name that video part. All right, should we uh, hit a smelling salt to keep things going after name that video part? Please. Yes. Silk, you want to start it off back there behind the boards? My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Oh. Nice one. Jones? Oh, it's delicious. Oh, my God. Jones goes in, dude. I'd prefer to spend some time in there. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, God. All right, mm. we're back. Ooh. Run through a wall smelling salts. Here we go. Bernie. You know, before we move on. From Robot Food, I do have to say, you know, this is maybe my old head nostalgia coming out or whatever, talking about the glory days of snowboarding and how it used to be. But the thing that's great is, like, the thing about the DVDs that was so special was there was, like, the hidden bonuses where you, like, you click on somebody's, like, a golden retriever's head in Afterlame or something like that, and it would, like, take you to this bonus. Or there's all these little nuggets of secret bonuses, and if you knew where they were, you get to see all these little behind-the-scenes edits. And um, and that's something that's so special with old DVDs that you guys used to do that, that you, can't, you can't do that on YouTube anymore. It doesn't exist. And you already get enough of anybody anyway where you don't need anything more. But, yeah, talk about that stuff. Um, I don't know who actually, like, from our group, probably Nemo or something like that had discovered that you can do these little hidden codes whatever but there's and I remember that at one point these codes and we this was where all of our like junk footage went right so all the funny stuff that we thought was funny or whatever um and all the bonus stuff and uh I remember this being super coveted I remember we had like the unlock all code and it's like you weren't allowed to talk about the unlock all code <laughs> like people had to f- discover this and this is like before you know, like just, you know, the internet had really taken over the world, but, um, I wouldn't say before, but it was like around the time of, uh, say infancy. It's not, not as popular to like, you can't just find the codes online. Like it was almost like you had to do it through, like, you know, somebody who knew somebody who had heard of a code, you mm-hmm. know? And so there's so much funny stuff on that. And it's like, I actually need to go back and look at that stuff. And like one of the things that was probably my favorite skit was just this one it was called Down by the River. It was just like me, Vile, and uh, and Travis Parker. Just we just went out one day aboard in this in this we were on a road trip coming back and we just we were like, oh this this looks like a good spot. Wasn't a good spot, but we, we just thought like, hey, let's do it. Probably to break up the break up the drive a little bit. But we walked back and fine and we just got we're like, ah we're we're what if we we're you know we're getting basically skunked. So Oh, well, what if we tried to get over this log, over this little river? And it it turns out to be one of the funniest things I think I can ever, like, I if I have to think about snowboarding, like, how much fun I had, it was, like, that moment mm. of, like, this is what, like, snowboarding's about. Like, how much fun you are having in the wilderness with your friends, and it doesn't matter. It does, We're not doing anything crazy, and there's no big tricks or anything happening. It's just the act of hanging with your friends and 
you know, to and try to make it over this maybe 10 foot wide river. Like it's not even, a, it's like a stream and, uh, and you don't want to fall in it. Arnie, Ar- Arnold was in there too. So uh, Scott Arnold, Scotty Arnold's there. And, uh, and dude, yeah. <laughs> like every, everyone just, you know, it's like you had to make it across. So you didn't fall in. And Arnie fell in a lot. <laughs> he like fell in too. And uh, Travis and I were we were just so like we'd be like Arnie, you know, try to get it. and we, you know, Vile fell back. I think it was Vile who fell, and he ended up hugging the log, and we were just pelting him with snowballs, like boom, 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 <laughs> and uh, until finally he had to like let go. But it was just like one of those things. that just I don't know. It's just one of those key moments in in life um, that was just really kind of I don't know fun. Good times. Good era. Uh, that trifecta of videos, just phew, wow. Uh, and then 2005, I basically, after after Lame, that was that was it for you, right? Yeah, well, it, technically, no. Um, the end credits of After Lame, I, uh, I come up short and just wreck my ankle. Uh, I landed on the knuckle on a back five yep. truck driver yep. and just didn't see it coming wham, just slammed my face so hard into my knee, broke my nose, and then uh, chipped a little piece off of a shelf of my ankle. And, uh, and you know, I went to the doctor. They're like, oh, you should be all right or whatever. But it just never, it didn't, one, I didn't give it the time to heal. And then, two, it just never healed right. Um, so I went out with Neil Proto, actually, to film uh, mm-hmm. one, like, one trip. We I think we went to Red Mountain Pass. And uh, I just I just couldn't really ride. It was like... I was kind of there. I was kind of doing it, and I just was like, not happening for me. Um, and then that was kind of it. After that, yeah. uh, Silk D, we got a Patreon question about his transition into the industry, I believe, right? Yeah, we got a question from John Martin. It says, "What up, Bobby? What was it like transitioning from pro snowboarder to team manager and working in the industry? Was it easy? Was it hard?" Um, <clears throat> I mean, everyone has their own journey, right? My journey was a little different. I think uh, it wasn't. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say it was easy. I wouldn't say it was hard. It was like just more of there was like a learning curve involved. And uh, mm-hmm. and I kind of just had to learn along the way. You know, you learn a little bit, take a step forward, learn a little bit, take a step forward. And I think um, uh, when I had finished, when I was just like, yep, that's it, you know, I'm done snowboarding professionally. I'm just going to I'm gonna figure it out. I just knew I figured it out. I know so many people in the industry, you know, I'm going to work for somewhere. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Originally, I wanted to be a graphic artist. And if I was a graphic, and then I had an epiphany one night. <laughs> I was just like, wait a minute, if I'm a graphic artist, that means I'm going to be like, and I'd been in Nemo plenty of times. And I just look at those dudes slave away at their computers all day long, all day, all night, just working for brands. Um, and just like, they just never leave their computers. And I just, I didn't see myself in that position after going like, traveling around the world constantly. Like I was always on the move, no care in the world to being put in that position where I couldn't go anywhere. And so marketing seemed like a little bit more of an, and a team manager seemed a little bit more of a role for me. But um, at the point I, I had just went off to go dive and then I got a call from Nemo who was like, hey, Nike's looking for a, uh, a dude to just go cruise around and do grassroots marketing. And so when I, I, I was like, oh, sign me up, I'm down. And most of it was just because I, I'd seen what they've done with SB, and I was like, dude, if I could get them to do a snowboarding brand, I mean, there we go. And so for me, I didn't have, a, I didn't have like a college degree. Um, you know, I was learning life lessons, but I wasn't like, you know, I didn't have a diploma for, you know, marketing. So um, 
No degrees at all. Um, so I, uh, I took the job and then eventually like transitioned into it. And I think it's funny because people would think like going to Nike, you're like, oh my God, it must be so gnarly to go into that environment. But it was at a, trend, a period when Nike had figured out how, they'd figured the code the cra- to crack the code, it, which was they can always hire people with marketing degrees. Like, but you can't hire somebody who's from the culture. You can't mm. teach them the culture. You can teach people to do spreadsheets and marketing plans, but you can't teach them the culture and the authenticity of snowboarding or skateboarding or whatever. And so for me, when I got into that position, um, they were really patient with me. And so like I had a lot of hiccups along the way, learning things, but I also was really quick at picking up a lot of like strategy and you know, we, we sat through everything, through marketing plans and, uh, you know, business plans and strategies and travel around the world, at, at, you know, talking to retailers, trade shows, like all that stuff. And it just gave me a really good avenue of, uh, of the lay of the land of the industry. And so that's where I kind of just kind of cut my teeth a little bit. And I think that, you know, kudos to them for doing, like taking it at my speed. Really wasn't, they pushed me, but it wasn't technically at their speed. It was more my speed. Mm-hmm. That's rad. Yeah. Yeah. Super rad. Wondering about the, with Nike, the new documentary that just came out, Air. Have you seen that? I haven't yet. I oh, you got it. It's on my yeah. to-do list. I was just curious about, uh, yeah, they have the credo of my, the 10 things Phil Knight came up with in the 80s. The, do you know, are you familiar with any of that? Yeah. 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 Did they did they instill any of that stuff uh, um, in you when you guys were there? There is some things that they're constantly, they're like, yeah, this is... I mean, they're, they're con- I don't know. It's like, I can't I tell you what the 10 things are or whatever, yeah. but like, you know, they, they do teach you like, hey, this is how you need to approach things. Like, you shouldn't be doing this or that. or And you, you kind of learn along the way of like, oh. And they have weird, and I'm kind of like just all over with this one, but um, they do have a lot of things where they're like, they are the big business. They are like them and Apple, <laughs> you know? It's mm-hmm. like, you know, they, they've mastered the art of business and marketing and like authenticity mm-hmm. of, of what they've, you know, of whatever they get into basically. I think that crack in the code comment is super spot on and insightful from a corporation like that and a company of that size. Cause that's still, I would say one of the biggest misses of any company that tries to come in and take a bite from snowboarding. They nearly miss that every single time. Yeah. Snowboarding and skateboarders, we smell bullshit from a long immediately from, immediately from yeah. far away. And so like if you're hiring people, if you're a big company, you're listening to this, you are hiring people who aren't snowboarders, like snowboarders. There's a difference between being a snowboard be, from snowboarding and being a snowboarder. Like there's a big difference. Thank huge. You. Yes. And so like if you're not hiring snowboarders, then you're just you're not going to succeed. I mean, I'm sorry. We're just gonna smell your bullshit, and it's gonna—it's not gonna work eventually. And then also too, you gotta have patience. <laughs> I think I think mm. that's a big thing. Everyone just thinks like, oh yeah, it's gonna happen overnight, and we're uh, you know three years down the line. I mean, Nike snowboarding only lasted for five years, and then they killed it because there's like one person up the up the chain is like, what? Why are we investing this much money? Like, look at this line. Look at these. Look like look at look at the numbers that are here. Like, why are we doing this? Like, we can't, we don't need it. We don't need this. But they're just, I don't know. It's just like one of those things where they can be pulled, they can, your, your brand can fail in a heartbeat just based off of just not being authentic or being just, um, 
I don't know, phony. <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah. It it seems like snowboarding. It's it's smaller than we think, in the sense as at least the people that identify as snowboarders that are like, yeah. that's what I that's that's who I am. That's what I do. I they know about. They know about the characters. They know about the pros. They know about the brands. Not as somebody that goes snowboarding twice a year that owns a snowboard that sits in the garage, but actual snowboarders, right? And and so you start a brand. I think it it's a harsh reality when when you think you're going to get into something and make a ton of money. Like the only way you can really be in snowboarding is a labor of love. I feel like you have to truly love it because if you're in there with dollar signs in your eyes, it ain't gonna work. No, it's passion mm-hmm. pennies. It's I call it, yeah, passion, passion pennies, man. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's what I've basically lived off of. <laughs> yeah, elaborate, elaborate on that. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's it's general. I mean, you do it because it's it's you're passionate about it. Like this is where your heart is. My heart is in snowboarding. Like, I I worked for like Nike in DC, and and now I'm at We Are Camp. You know, I'm like at I'm at High Cascade. You know, it's it's not for the money. Obviously, I'm like there because I'm like. Because you care about it and you want it to succeed and you want to pass on this, like, this, you know, you want to usher in this new generation of snowboarding because you are snowboarding. You know what I mean? And that's what, like, for me, I've just always tried to stay, I've always just tried to stay in that, like, in, in that side of it and just be, make sure that I'm just connected to it because, you know, it goes back to what we talked about before. It's like, do you think snowboarding saved your life? For sure it did. And so I want to make sure that it saves someone else's life. We go back to the starting line, like where you started. It's yeah. camp. Like that's a cool full circle story there. And it's, mm. you know, whether you went to camp or not, just that concept of that positioning to learn about the culture, meet people that believe and have the same passion that you do. And then you go on your, your tour, tour to pro, come right back and kind of give back to the same thing. I think that's, I mean, that's sick. That's what I think we should do our generations like we should there should be more of us more of you out there rather like you know and that's my call like come back you know you were an attorney you were an actual snowboarder then come back be an attorney for snowboarding like quit your corporate job like shit's whack dude it's just money yeah yeah i mean spot on I, i just think it's like you know to your point, it's, there's not a ton of money in snowboarding. The margins aren't there. Like, it's just not. So if you if you are in snowboarding and if you are, maybe you're thinking about getting into snowboarding because you think you're going to get money out of it, it's not really, it's not the goal. And if you go into it with those intentions, then you're not, su- not going to succeed. Mm-hmm. I mean, look how long, like, some of these companies, like, you know, like C- the C3 companies and stuff, and, like, they've they battled for a long time of being the underdogs and now they're like on top, you know, it's like, and that doesn't happen overnight. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's just, for me, it's just like, it's like, you have to, you have to care about it for one and you have to be authentic and you got to like, it's not about the numbers always. It's not always about the bottom line. It's about like what's right for snowboarding. You Mm -hmm. have to do that. You Mm -hmm. have to think that first I mean, you have to you have to make. I mean, I've made some bad decisions or rough decisions I've had to make in in my career, as far as like you know, uh, you know, directing like uh, the the brand position or like riders and who's on the team or whatever. But at the end of the day, I mean, you've got two things that you got to do. You got to one, you got to protect snowboarding, and then two, you got to protect the business side of it. And that's the balance of it, you know. Mm. You have to do what's right for snowboarding, and you have to do what's right for the business to continue to to thrive. And so, um, and those those don't always agree, you know. Uh, so 
And if you can find that perfect balance, it's like my wife and I have like, you know, we don't, we don't, we, she comes from a different background than I do. And I come, my sensibilities are my art, art, like my eye is different than her eye. And like what I think is fucking awesome is she's like, oh my God, really? Uh, you know, and so, but that one thing where we both come together and we both agree on something, we both are like, it's like, we're buying it, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) instantly. So, uh, I don't know. It's just like hard. It's like peanut butter and jelly, you know, it's like they're both good on the same side, but Mm. I, I think also, you know, going back to, you know, the snowboarding saved your life thing. I just want to lean back into that thinking about, I think we got three extremely sentimental people sitting here talking about snowboarding. And Silk as well, the producer, our producer, who's uh, <laughs> not doing as much talking, but deeply cares about snowboarding as well. And and you know we've we've dedicated our lives to this thing, and I think it's important to think about. Like I, I love the the little bit sappy, sentimental uh, rhetoric with snowboarding because for me, you know, like it's always been there for me. Like snowboarding and skateboarding, they were my first love before I ever had a girlfriend. Like and then like. I've gone through stuff in my life that's been challenging and like snowboarding has been there for me. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you go to, you, you have problems, you go to the snowboard park and you chuck off of a jump and it's there for you. You're, you're having a hard time at home. You don't want to be at your house. The skate park is there for you. And so I think like this shit to me is like more sentimental than it is. Like, it's just what we do, right? It's just, it's who we are and what we do. And, and, and so having people that are in marketing, managing, you know, VP of marketing positions for big brands that care are what's going to Sherpa our culture in the right direction. And, and I think that you're a perfect example of that, right? Yeah. Well, I, I hope to be, you know, I, I like that's my ultimate goal is to make sure that like, you know, to be my guiding light, which is to, to do the right thing for snowboarding. And like, like I said, like there's been decisions that I've had to make that, you know, some people would say that's that I probably didn't fight for them. You know, I didn't fight for that for you or whatever, but like they don't see the backside of it and they don't know what the pressure that you get from a business side of things. And, uh, you know, from your upper management, um, you know, you have to weigh a lot of things and, and it's, uh, it becomes at the end of the day, you just, you know, you have to make what do what's right for it for both. And so finding that right balance is, uh, is important. And if you've experienced, and that's why I talk about like the Nike and like how they like helped, helped, you know, raise me into this, like the business side of things and being able to make those decisions for me, um, helped a lot, you know? So, well, we got a guest question from, uh, Ika Backstrom. Uh, here we go. What's up, Bobby? (laughs) Um, you've been in the snowboard industry pretty much your whole entire life. First as a snowboarder filming video parts, and then later on you're running the show at Nike in D.C. Can you explain to us the difference between being a snowboarder on a trip versus being the guy in charge? Hope you guys are having a good combo. Love you. Bye. That is a great question, actually. Uh, He's very familiar with me being on the uh, guy in charge. (laughs) So um, I think... uh, the difference I'd say is like, like example, like as being a snowboarder, you're, you're highly focused on, on the tricks at hand, you know, right? So you're, you're, you're only worried about getting the shot and technically you're, you're kind of worried about your, your friends getting a shot too, because like I said earlier, it's a team thing, but you're very highly focused on one thing at hand. Um, 
and for and your video part or whatever. And as a as a like a team manager or someone who's in charge of it, you're it's you're so kind of highly focused on making sure that it all happens. <laughs> you know, it's like putting these guys in a position where they're going to succeed, um, making sure that they're comfortable or, but also not making sure that they're too comfortable. You know what I mean? Like they get, Oh shit. They're like, they all went out and got hammered that night before. And now it's like bluebird the next day. And, you know, trying to avoid those situations that, you know, I found myself in, <laughs> you know, in Canada or whatever. So, <laughs> um, yeah, for the most part, I think it's like, there's, you know, it's both of them. One side of it is you have a lot of pressure uh, getting shots and making sure that you are building your video part and you're doing your job. And the other side of that is that you're stressed out about those guys getting your shots, getting their shots and doing their job. But you're all stress, also stressed out about the uh, the overall bigger picture of the project at hand, which is like, which a lot of the times, you know, love all the dudes, but sometimes they just you know, as a snowboarder, you just look at what's in front of you and you don't get to see like, or you don't sometimes don't get like the overall, like, uh, say like program, the overall theme, like, okay, well, let's just say like, we're going to shoot everything via, you know, like we want the, the theme of this year, the marketing theme is going to be, and the creative is going to follow these guidelines. And so, um, as a snowboarder, you don't care about those guidelines. You just, all you just want to do is get your shots, get your video part, and like, that's it. But like as a brand, I need you to get these shots. And so I'm there like battling these guys, like, dude, I need you to ride with this, with him in order to get this shot. I can't, it can't be a solo shot. I need it to be double, you know, or, or whatever. So there's like, there's that stress involved too. But then also, I will say this is like, you know, example, like I've been homies with all of, all of like, for the most part, every one of our team, team riders, um, all the brands. <clears throat> so there is a level of, uh, you know, mutual respect, which is great, but there's also a level of like, I'd say just like you're having fun too, you know, like you're still living it a little bit on those trips. You're still having a little bit of fun. Uh, everyone used to always tell me like, oh, dude, you're, you're like your team manager or you're the brand manager for that. And you go out with the team. Those trips must be so fun. Where are you going? And I'm like in my brain, I'm like, yeah, they're fun. But it's like if I had to look at the whole thing and I had to ratio it out, I'd be like, it's like 20 percent fun, maybe 20 percent <laughs> fun. And then the 80 percent is pulling my hair out, trying to get dudes to get get up in time to like get out, wear the shit that I need them to wear like um you know, deal with the bullshit of why aren't we eating sushi every night? You know, like why, why can't we go to the bar? You know, like you, there's just all that. Why aren't we flying business class? You know, like this, you know, it's just prima donna kind of vibes. Oh, to yeah. It. oh <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. So anyway, that's like, that's the difference is, I guess, I don't know if I really answered the question, but I no, did throw did. out two scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. You got to manage a bunch of uh, prima donnas that are completely out of touch with reality that have probably been child prodigies that have probably never worked a job in their life that don't really understand how things work, but they're just gifted on a snowboard. It's like, yeah, and, and you get you get what their, their mission is. Yeah, You know what they're going to do, but they have no idea what your, like, yeah. right. your goal is. Or so. everyone, and yeah, and what your goals are for yeah. everyone else as yeah. well, like you described. I'm like, yeah. dude, I've got like a, 
we have a sales meeting here in like a month and I need a shot of you in this specific thing. It's like, you didn't bring it? Dude, I told you to bring that. <laughs> you know, like things like that. It's like, no, I didn't like, I don't like red, dude. Yeah. I'm like, we're paying you thousands and thousands of dollars to wear that jacket. Yeah, it's like, red's not my color, bro. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's uh, not your color too? Green. Yeah. <laughs> you don't find that red jacket right now. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. Um, with Nike, I remember back in the day when when it came out, uh, I used to film with Benny, Justin Benny, all the time, and I remember he had a business card. Yeah, dude. It had his stance on it. Yeah, yeah. It was like his angles and all. Yeah, that. yeah. So when we made a uh, when, we, dude, we just. The way we approached with Nike Snow Warning, it was just like, we just wanted to shake it up, right? So we wanted to do, I mean, you had the resources and the budget for whatever you want. As long as you presented something amazing, like a lot of times, like they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. That's awesome. And so uh, we had the idea of giving all of our team riders business cards and not just business cards, but they say literally like professional. That's all it said on there is like professional. So the one side, it said like, Nike had their name, their gold foil, and it was like Nike gold foil in black, and then it was like their name said professional on it, and then he flipped it over, and everyone had their own stance, like measured out, like you know what their their stance was. It was pretty sick, That's dude. Sick. It worked. We got we were in Omaha on a trip one time, and we were getting kicked out of a spot, and Benny pulls his wallet out and he hands this security guard his Nike business card, and the guy was just like, "Oh, these guys are legit." <laughs> yeah, you guys keep doing your thing. It's all just clean up when you're done. That's amazing. Yeah, fucking. That's, that's. I did hear that amazing. story. I always yeah. wondered if it was true. Did mm-hmm. I still have my yeah. box? Because I got one as well too. You know, it's like I still have like all of those cards on ice. Yours is gold as well. They are all gold. Yeah, yeah all gold. What did yours say? Uh, what did you have? A, did you have one too? Yeah, did I just said professional. Said professional. Oh no, yeah, I think I said mine said like marketing director mm-hmm. or something like that. No, I heard there's a cool story. Uh, actually, not cool. Let me rephrase it. I heard there's a scary story about uh, when a plane early in the Nike days. Oh, dude, mm. this is this is kind of a, a scary story, but also like a, a really trippy one. Um, so I was like, we'd all traveled to Vancouver for it was it was the whole Nike team, and I think we were on our way. We, our goal was to go to Vancouver for the Olympics. I think it's 2010. Uh, going to the Vancouver, and then. We from the Olympics, we were heading off to Switzerland, I think, to do some boot testing or whatever. And uh, we had a stop in Calgary, and um, so we flew over there. And it was like me, it was Danny Cass and Annie Boulanger on the flight. And it's a you know it's a pretty big plane or whatever. It's not like a those I don't know seven forty seven or whatever, but it was a decent size. And um, uh, we're we get, we all sit. You know, it's like basically everyone's seated shut the door and they're like, okay, but you know, make sure, you know, they go through their spiel or whatever. And, but as soon as they shut that door, you know, they're still, it's still docked. And so at some point I remember I was in the middle of, I was like right on the wing, just behind the wing on the right side. Annie Boulanger was behind me about uh, 15 rows back. And Danny was up front, uh, not business, but like up closer in that area. And, all of a sudden, the captain says, uh, yeah, we're going to push back, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as he goes to push back, dude, this giant fireball engulfs, like, the left side of the plane, like, all on the wing, just like, and all of a sudden, and I was reading a book at the time, and I didn't have anyone next to me. And it's a pretty pretty open flight, but uh, I'm reading, a, a, like, a book, and I just look over, 
And I'm like, this isn't happening. I remember specifically saying that, like going, this isn't happening. And there was just fire everywhere. And I was just like, I just took a second. I threw my book in the air. In one motion, grabbed my seatbelt, released my seatbelt, jumped over my seat, and was just like, boom, running back to the back of the plane. And I, I was the only one doing this. Uh, and I like run back to the end of the plane. And then as I, because my goal was to get to the door, the the you know the door exit, and the yeah. exit. And so I'm running as fast as I can to get back to it because I'm to get away from the wing. And uh, I go to run up, and the stewardess walks around the corner at the same time. And I tried to stop, and I literally like my feet came out from underneath me, and I went totally horizontal, landed on my back, boom, and then. Everybody on the plane is like, what the fuck? And like looking at me and the stewardess is like, what are you doing? And I'm like, the, f- the fire, fi- fire. They're, and, and they're like, there's no fire. What are you talking about? Go back to your seat. And like I get up and like everyone's kind of laughing at me and shit, like literally laughing at me, like giggling and, and whatever. And I walk back and I walk over back, to go to walk back by my seat. I sit down again and then Annie is back there by herself. So I get up and I go and I sit next to Annie. And, you know, Annie's a little cute little French French voice. She's like, why would you run? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Bobby, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, did you did you not see the fire? Like, and she's like, no, what fire? What are you doing? Why would you run? Even if there's a, I'm like, this is a giant Molotov cocktail. Like, this is a bomb waiting to happen. There's a giant fire on the plane, on the wing, like, what do you think is going to happen if this thing like ignites or whatever? And uh, she's like, oh, I didn't think about that or whatever, blah, blah. And then as she's talking to me, all of a sudden, like, well, no, right before that, the uh, captain goes, oh, ladies and gentlemen, um, some of you may have noticed there was like a some fire smoke on the outside of wing. Um, that's normal. It's common. It's like a backfire. And I'm just like, like a, a, from a car, you know? And I'm in my brain, I am like going fucking nuts in my brain. I'm like, there's no way that this has never happened and I fly all the time. Never seen this before. And so when Annie's telling me, why would you run? What, what's going on? And then uh, they, the captain comes on. He's like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to back it up again and blah, blah, blah. You know, make sure you're in your seat. And he starts the plane up again. And this time the fire is like double the size. It's it's, you could feel it on your face all the way from the wing way up there. So it's like 30 seats away. I could feel it. People go, oh, like scream. And Annie's talking to me. Same thing. Seatbelt, over, run. But this time I get back to the end of the plane. And, dude, I, I'm not the only person this time. Oh. There's like a shitload of people and they're like screaming and the stewardess, she's got her like, she's holding the door and she's pushing people back and going, sit down. No, no, no. And, uh, I, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, like open the door, open the door. And there's like this German dude and he's going, open the door, open the door, open the fucking door, open the door, like tripping out. And like, it's chaos, dude. It's like a full panic. And, uh, and all of a sudden I'm like in the back in the, what do they call it? The galley or whatever, you know, right? So I'm standing there, I'm screaming, and I go to say something else. And as I go to yell something, some dude goes, hey, hey. And I'm like, I just stop and I look, and it's a guy who's sitting, leaned up against the, the like, up against the counter. And he's all, it's going to be all right. He's got a drink in his hand. And he's like, I'm like, what? He's like, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And I'm like, 
And I go to say something to him. He goes, you dropped your chapstick. And I was like, I did. I dropped my chapstick. So I go pick it up. And then all of a sudden, like, everything just kind of, like, went normal. Captain came on. And everyone returned to their seats. And it was just, like, this weird moment where this dude was just like, hey, it's going to be all right. Jedi. Yeah, Jedi total, like, uh, you know, divine intervention style. Yeah. Just was like, hey, you're going to be all right. Uh, but it was like, dude, I'm, I'm terrified of flying. I Like, I don't like flying, but I accept flying because it's part of my lifestyle. And so, like, I, you, just, you just deal with it, right? Learn the same with everything. You don't want to do this trick, but you're scared to death of it, but you do it anyway. And so, like, so I approached flying, and, uh, and that was a – I mean, I've never seen a plane on fire before. It was insane. Um, and so they basically took us all off the plane, and then uh, we got a, Tim Hort- a gift certificate for Tim Hortons for 10 bucks. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Worth but I it. survived. Worth it. Yeah. Wow. Silk, you think that's worth it? Yeah, easy. I'm glad you didn't have diarrhea on that flight. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Me too, actually. I probably had to change my, I think I had to change my underwear afterward. Wow. Uh, I was going to skip over that part. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this wasn't the, this wasn't the saline flight. We're no, no, but dude, okay. I think that Danny, Danny didn't even know any of this. I don't think, I think he's just like, what, what happened? Why do we have to f- get off the flight? <laughs> like, just sleeping through dude. it. Yeah. Or reading through it. Yeah. Well, speaking of Nike, we got an Austin Smith guest question. Ooh, here we go. Hey, Bobby, Austin here. Um, thank you for putting me on Nike 15 years ago. We had lots of fun. And one of my favorite activities of all those years traveling together was watching Danny Cass kind of uh, poke your buttons. He sure seemed to know how to get under your skin. And what would you say was the most frustrating time uh, dealing with Danny Cass, working with Danny Cass? When did uh, he really push you over the edge? All right, excited to hear. Adios. Nice. Kudos, Austin. Um, yeah, dude, Danny was. Uh, I love Danny. Danny and we. I just saw him recently. It's like he's doing fucking great, man. He's he's awesome, dude. Uh, funny, charismatic. We've had like amazing travels together, stories together. But if there was anyone who pushed my buttons, it was Danny. Danny knows how to like just really. He's better than I am at it, and I admit that. Um, and he just digs and digs in, and he knows. He's just going to get you. And so, like, we'll go on trips or something like that, and he'll just be like, oh, yeah, I didn't bring those. I didn't bring those boots, <laughs> you know? And you're like, dude, what do you mean you didn't bring those boots? That's why we're here, like, for that. And so he just did that all the time. Like, it was constant. Dan- but Danny's style was, like, he didn't really care anyway. So, like, it didn't matter. Like, I remember seeing, like, Gnu would send him, like, just boards that were labeled, like, try this one out with a camber profile on each one of them. And he would, like, just not even use them or he'd put them, like, you know, he'd leave them. Or he'd ride one of them and just, like, leave five boards in the hotel room. And I'd just be like, dude, what? Are you going to carry these? No, no, I don't want to carry them. And you're just like, what? (laughs) Dude, so he always would push your buttons. Like, we went to Chile one time, and that was probably the most is, like, he had this – this uh, buddy of his, uh, I think his name was Diego, I think. And uh, he was an awesome dude, like great, super, super uh, friendly and uh, hospitable and like brought us all over for meal, like a crazy like Argentinian meal and uh, like a lot of meat involved. Um, 
like a, probably like a whole cow or something was involved mm-hmm. in that. And uh, he was just super nice. And but, dude, after after that, he was just like on everything. <laughs> it was like, oh, we're going to Switzerland, <laughs> you know, like because we were heading to Switzerland afterward. And and Danny's like, oh yeah, Diego's coming with us. I'm like, what? Dude, I can't, we don't have room for this other dude. And like, he would do that stuff constantly. <laughs> and I'm like, just, just, it was almost like he would just see how much he could push, you know? And, uh, and I don't know, good for him. But um, it was there, yeah. Out of all the people, um, I think uh, Danny and Laura Hadar were my two people where I was just like, oh my God, I've lost like years off my life <laughs> dealing with these two people. Um, but and remain friends, that is, which is so what sick. What about Jed Anderson? Too? But the thing is, is I love them. I yeah. would never even change any of what what transpired because it's just like, you know, my one of my big mottos in life is misery makes memories. Mm-hmm. And like, so every single time, I just, there's a little something in me that hopes that, that something goes wrong. But this is a year like, oh, you're challenged and you'll always remember this trip. Like, oh, the, like stories are never told about like, oh my God, did you remember that one time we were at the beach and the sunset looked great? Like, no one remembers that shit. Like, what? Remember when we went to Mexico and you lost your wallet and we got arrested? And we ended up in that donkey show? Like, like, totally. like <laughs> you know, that's the shit people want to hear. The donkey yeah. show. Yeah. It's always and the they want to remember that. Or yeah. remember you got maced in the face in Albuquerque? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know. That's my, my motto. So I wouldn't change any of it. I loved them to death. I didn't want to change really anybody um, for the most part, you know? So That's ta- talking uh, big budget with Nike because that that was that was the time when I don't know if budgets will ever be the same. Mm-mm. I mean, Jeremy probably got some some nice Burton. He probably burned some nice Burton budget, I'd imagine. Oh yeah, he took some of that budget and just kind of lit it on fire, you know. But uh, hey, when it is. when it comes to Nike, you don't have to say who. I'm just trying to get a. We're gonna get into some cheddar biscuits here, but maybe what was the biggest Nike contract somebody had? Um, I'd say probably, you know, obviously everything's six figures for the most part, but, um, close to a mil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what'd you guys spend on Never Not? Oh, dude. What was the budget on that? I think it was, uh, like a million dollars. I think something like that. Yeah. Damn. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who, uh, who would you say wrote it the hardest? From Nike? Yeah. Most money. Least amount of effort. Oh, he's, <laughs> trying to, he's trying to throw some people under the bus right now. Wow, oh, man. I'm not even going to say the name. Uh, a name. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying, to, he's trying to burn one. some bridges right now. No, I like no. it. Uh, there's always uh, one. I would say maybe there. There's been some like underperformers for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you know what the thing was is like with with Nike. It was always. It wasn't all about the riding. To be honest, it was a little bit about like the swagger and like the vibe of the of the brand, and like that was the cool thing about it. It was, was literally like we didn't have to have people snowboard. Like in, in a sense, like it was like we. I mean, we yes, we had to have people snowboard, but like it wasn't everyone. It wasn't like a contest brand. Mm-hmm. Like at least the the side of of Nike that I was on, mm-hmm. it wasn't like. I, I hired these people because they were fucking cool, mm-hmm. and you know what? And like if they didn't want to go snowboard, like just absolutely crush it that day, then, you know, hey, whatever. I mean, just just be cool, <laughs> whatever. To me, of all the athletes you had on Nike, Justin Benny embodied Nike the best. Like, the, he looked the coolest. He made Nike look the coolest. He was, like, he was the Nike. He, yeah. I mean, whatever. I'm going to agree with that. First yeah. first rider I put on. Oh, he was? Oh, yeah. was he? First cool. one. Sick. Yeah. First. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, that was a fair dodge of the question, but yeah. acceptable for sure. <laughs> well, you know, it's like it's tough to call people out when no, something like that. No, I don't that, want but you to the, name uh, I know, but like, uh, I just think that everybody had their own way. You know, like, like everyone. It. And you look back, you're like, dude. Like even if you look at like Giggy and Nico and and you know they all went through their moments of like, um, not as produ- not their productive moments. You know, like in a way, and and it's fine. Like. Not everybody has to absolutely kill it every single moment on a snowboard. You know, it's a little, little bit more about the vibe and their personality. And mm-hmm. you know, what else are they doing? You know, that's like a you know like a basketball player. Like, sure, you're great on offense, but what are you doing on other to stay on the floor, basically? And that's when you you know like some people don't really realize that nowadays. It's like there's almost like a lost art of the professional aspect of like snowboarding where. There's people who want to meet you. There's like shops that want you to come in. There's like, well, there's no more trade shows, but like there used to be trade shows that you'd have to attend and everybody would just be like, you know, there's just so much, mm-hmm. like really, do I have to do that? I'm like, dude, I fucking loved that part. I, I loved it. I like, I went, I traveled all over the world to do that because like for me, snowboarding wasn't about the act of snowboarding. It was everything. It was the lifestyle. It was the, uh, ex- it was the experience and it goes back to that like digging myself out of like the shithole that I was in as a kid is like how I'm going to relish every experience if you know I have a, like a joke too that I'm always like dude give me a plane flight I'm going like if if there's a plane flight in my hands I'm gonna go to one it doesn't matter what what it is like I don't care what I have to do or what it is it's a day like let's just say you had to day- fly a day to Switzerland okay cool I'm down like and I'm still like that I'm like, instantly, I'm like, it's because it's all about experience and it could be over any minute. So Mm. for me, it's about that. And then so with those dudes, like, it's, I don't know, there's an element that's kind of lost to it. Mm -hmm. I think that style, the way you bring in style and address that and put focus to it, I think is really pretty beautiful. I think that's what snowboarding is. It's, it's style and it's how you, you represent and showcase snowboarding and so it, it doesn't always have to be about yeah. the tricks and we covered you covered that well and with the robot food and that's what the those movies did they presented style differently you know not just a trick style but a lifestyle and told the in-betweens and i think you know your attention to that that you have in your career i think is why you're where you're at i think that's sick thank you thanks yeah i, <clears throat> I pride myself a little bit in like you know, the whole picture of, of it and not just being like, Hey, you're, it's all about the performance aspect of it. You know, I think that is like something where it's like, that's a nail in the coffin. If you're looking for like, for your brand, if you're like focused on performance, like, uh, that's not really what we're about. We're Mm -hmm. not about performance. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're, you want the equipment to perform. That's what you're about. Like you want that to perform, but you're about, there's a, just, there's a lifestyle that's associated with snowboarding and it's very much um, just as important as the performance aspect of, of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and with all these experiences, I'm kind of just reflecting, you know, with all these experiences that we're talking about, you know, Jones can relate to this, we can all relate to this, but I love how you're talking about just kind of enjoy the experience as much more than mm-hmm. performance do in the sense that, like, think about so many times where you're out there and somebody's snowmobile breaks down and the weather's coming in, and it's a fucking train wreck of a situation. But it's like the banter's fucking through the roof. And it's like we're laughing and we're probably losing our minds. And the, you remember that. But then there's the the person in that situation that's having a fucking meltdown that can't handle it. It's like the the 
the Jedi's and the the ones that can really embrace that experience are the ones that like you know you look up to and 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 it seems like you you know have realized that as well right? yeah man i mean that's like also too it's like it goes back to like that behind the scenes shit right like mm-hmm. i mean behind the scenes isn't covered by like a couple dudes sitting around a table for the most part like talking about how good their tricks were that day it's like shit happens and it's it's just and you know you you it is what you make it mm-hmm. in a way and a lot of the times it's it's be, a lot of the greatest shit in the world is based off of a shitty situation. Yeah. That usually makes it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've got a question for you. Uh, there's probably some listeners that are interested in getting into the snowboard industry, I'd imagine, like that maybe don't have the skill set to make it as a, as a pro, but they, they fucking love it, you know? Uh, as somebody that's transitioned into some big wig positions here at... Uh, in the snowboard industry, what what advice would you have for a kid that's trying to, to f- make his way or her way in, in this space? I think the the biggest thing is like, especially if you aren't in the pro snowboarder realm, is you got to surround yourself with the community. I mean, if you're if you're in this and you're just like, oh yeah, like I played soccer my whole life and I'm 28 now and I'm like, well, you got a lot of work to do, <laughs> like you know, to get into like it's it's about. I don't know, just in general, like life is about who you know, in a sense, like mm. I didn't go to college. I like had to, you know, experience, um, I had to experience the, the business side of it, like hands on and like learn, learn that along the way. And so I think that like, there's no school that's going to get you to where you are within this, the culture aspect of it. So you have to live it. And I think like example is like, you know, how many people, I mean, how many people have sat here that have gone through camp? you know, or worked at camp, you know, it's like you put your hours in your time in, right? So you're, you're involved in, involved in snowboarding culture. And that's like the best way, like the best way to get to it. Cause no one's just going to hire you for your resume in the most, mm-hmm. for the most part. Like if you don't know the difference between like, oh yeah, I know, like, you, I don't know if you're like, I, I know what a backside 360 is. That's, that's great. <laughs> you know, like keep working on it. You know, um, I think that, um, you just have to immerse yourself in it and in the culture and surround yourself with people who are successful within that culture and uh, within snowboarding. And that goes for anything for the most part if you're looking for, um, you know, positions even within skateboarding or whatever, you know, probably ski industry is the same. You know, you got you to gotta live it a little bit in order to, to really, it's not just about the school resume, it's about the other, the other life resume that you have and like the recommendations that you're going to get from your crew that you're hanging out with or like oh you know what's his name oh dude you know who would be good for that like this guy you know they're always going to go to the front of the line um so i think that that's the best way to do it is to just really immerse yourself in that element of the culture of it um and yeah and just play the cards i think that's the best way and in your experience, from what I heard, it seems like too, which is I think a great move. Sometimes I think in our culture where we're at, you know, somebody maybe gets a college degree and they think, oh, well, I can get a job for six figures because that's the industry rate for my job and this or whatever. But we're in fucking snowboarding, right? So I feel like you kind of ate some shit at the beginning to get your foot in the door. And it's like getting the foot in the door is like big picture ended up landing you what was a VP of global marketing at Nike. 
But first, is that what the position was? No. What was it? That's, that's for weird camp. <laughs> no, no, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but I, well, I'm like, but, that sounds good, though. But right? what was your <laughs> Nike position? Well, I'm just saying, just what was your big yeah. Nike position when you got there? I was brand manager brand for, man. for snowboarding yeah, for okay. North America brand manager. Yeah. North yeah. America brand manager, but still, regardless, very respectable position. But you had to get there by getting your foot in the door. Yeah. Right? And it's like, you might have to eat a little shit just to to get there. No, you absolutely do. And I think, like, examples, like, oh, people don't want to... Sometimes it's just like, you know... I don't know. I wouldn't say from an intern side of things. I think interns are more more trouble than they're they're worth. To be honest, I mean, you get to learn a little bit, but I, I mean, I could see like the situation's really good for certain things if you have the structure of a, in a business to to be able to handle interns, and that's mm. fucking great. Like, go for it. But um, you know, like companies like myself or whatever. But like uh, like we are camp or whatever. We don't we don't really have a lot of structure for it, so it becomes more work than what it is. But you have to like get in, and sometimes that starts at the first floor. To make your way up to the penthouse, you know, it's like it, it takes a while, and and there's no like, oh, I'm gonna push button one, and then I'm gonna push up the P, you know, it's like no, you're gonna you're gonna hit every single one of those floors, and then you're gonna have to get off on each one, and eventually make your way up. So you don't get that unlock all code. No, huh? you do not get. Which, the by unlock. the way, what is that unlock all code? <laughs> <laughs> up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, start. Good shit. So your your let's go to your position at We Are Camp. What is it? VP Global Marketing Juggernaut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's pretty much I have on my resume <laughs> and my uh, business card. Um, yeah. So I handle all the marketing and the sales over at. Um, well, it's not so much the sales. I mean, that's my title, but I I do mostly just because sales and marketing are, are closely attached. But um, I mostly handle like you know brand relations um, and uh, and marketing side of it. So. Handle it's for, f- f- I mean, five brands really. Like for the most part, it's uh, High Cascade snowboarding. That's what we're here for. Um, and then uh, Wendell's on the ski side of things. Seek on the skateboarding side. So if you guys haven't checked that, like, dude, it, our skate scene has been blowing up. So it's been awesome on that. And then mountain biking program, which is called Milepost Thirty Five. And then uh, I handle for the uh, the academy, which is the Y East Mountain Academy nonprofit uh, action sports high school boarding school. Um, I do all the marketing for that as well. And, um, yeah, so it's like kind of five brands all balancing in the air. <laughs> mm. So a little juggling of that. That's cool. Do you feel since you work with, like, kids all the time, you you kind of have to be a good role model, right? You yeah, I mean, I think I'm uh, – I don't know. At my age, I think I'm a relatively good role model to yeah, begin absolutely. with. I'm uh, like – Yo, what's up, bitches? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> what's up, you little? What you can't get that? <laughs> like, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm a good role model in a sense. It's the only I'd say the only downside is is like I am really busy a lot of the times, and I don't get to engage as much in in snowboarding or skateboarding. Well, like I used to. I I mean, I get to like go out and I, you know, I'll engage with. It's my job to secure brand partnerships. And so I'm always in contact with the team and make sure who's our signature sessions are and everything. And I, you know, when you guys come out, I get to like, you know, hang with you guys a bit. But for the most part, I'm just always like, there's just so much on the plate to do um, that I, I rarely get a chance to actually go out and experience it. Mm-hmm. Well, good on you, dude. It's a good thing for snowboarding, good thing for skating. Um, to the concrete jungle you guys got there, the, one of the funnest skate parks in North America. It's like transition everything's flowy but it's small so you feel like a golden god out there it's got to be fun to have that as in your backyard where you can go roll around whenever you want dude it's so fun i mean like my window i look out at like at the skate park so i'm like 
I mean, come on. <laughs> like somebody asked me, I have, a, I have a, a place in Portland where I live in Portland. I have a pretty big backyard and everyone's always like, are you going to build a ramp? Or I'm like, why would I build a ramp? Dude, I've got the best skate park in the world right here. Like mm-hmm. I don't need to build a ramp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work at the best skate park. Um, but yeah, I get out there. I get out there quite a bit, a couple, you know, hopefully for the most part, like two days a week, one day a week, I'll try and get out and push around a little bit. Good. Um, Still keep keep the front side flip going. Yeah, the front side flip's still there. That's what I wanted to know that. That thing's yeah. still hitting? Yeah, I, can still, still, I still got a, a yeah. front side flip here and there. Mm. You know, all impossibles. Wow. Yeah, you know, it comes around. And I got those transition tricks on the coping for days, though. Yeah. Those are on nonstop. Well, I did upsize my board for the first time, like truck size and everything. Now I'm like got an eight and three eighths. And, uh, and it's it's a little different. A little bit of a harder <laughs> flick on the front. Dude, you front really got to give an effort. Yeah, you really got to flick <laughs> Dude, it. Dude, especially the tray flip is like a little... Ugh. And I feel like for any kids or parents thinking about sending their kids out to camp and stuff, like, dude, you go for a week and you just eat, breathe, either skateboarding or snowboarding or whatever it is for, for a week and you're just around like-minded people, it's like worth every penny you come back twice as good you know it's it's not like going for a weekend somewhere you're like you got a coach you're trying whatever it's slushy and skate park's amazing it's a good damn good time well, thing for is life it, sometimes too. yeah man it's like yeah. well it's different it's not just about the act of like snowboarding right so or even the camp there's like so many elements to it that's like you're immersed in the culture of like that sport so to say like you're meeting people from all over the world like you know, people from Canada and Japan, Australia, like everyone comes in from everywhere. And everyone who sat in this chair right here has talked about the influence that camps have had on their, their, like their life in general. And it's more of a life experience than it is a snowboard experience, mm-hmm. so to say. That's true. To pay, to, to even elevate that tenfold, we did bomb hole adult camp, which yeah. those, those fuckers are amazing, dude. These, these guys like, they're, they're in their 30s, they're in their 40s, they're in their 50s, whatever, however old they are, and they're paying their own way to go to snowboard camp. So they're living it up. You know, they, they're like truly embracing the whole experience from the mountain to the food to kickball, like everything. It, it's, it, was a, it was a real treat to hang with those adult campers this, this summer out there. It was fucking awesome. Dude, it's so fun. We also have like an adult camp out for skateboarding, three days. And you just camp wherever you want. You pop a tent. You bring your own tent. We have some like some lodging available that you can you can rent out. But for the most part, people camp. And so, like our whole courtyard last weekend was full of just tents. It was like a tent land. It looked like a homeless man. That's homeless cool. camp almost. Uh, just tents everywhere. And it's like all like-minded adults. Um, you know, with adult beverages and like experiences and everything. And it's just it's probably one of like the best things like you can do as like a, an adult in a way. Yeah. It's so fun to do. And, uh, and it's like, there's no structure to it in a a sense of there's people around who can give you, you know, coaching if you want it, uh, if you want to, but for the most part, you just go and skate and just camp out, drink beers, hang out with your, your, you know, your friends and, and that's it. Like Mm -hmm. three days of that. It's amazing. Actually, sounds amazing. Should we go, Jones? <laughs> yeah, we should go. <laughs> so, so the other thing, think about too, is that as we're bred, as society has kind of taught us to buy things to make us happy. But I think as as you get older, you maybe realize that the experiences are more valuable than things, and that's what's awesome. You guys create an experience, and I think that's a great way. 
you know, like, oh, I could, I could have a, a thing or I could have an experience. And I think the experience is worth tenfold the, an item, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, that's what I always look at. I look at, like, the experience vibe of it. You know, it's like I said, like, I pretty much base my whole career off of, like, off of, you know, uh, basically following the experience, the adventure of it. And, uh, you know, we have a campus that's out in the woods, you know, it's like handmade. It's like not like, you know, some pristine skate park. It's like looks like a professional DIY and in, in, so to say. And it's got like, you know, we've got everything indoor, outdoor. We just built a street plaza um, just coming in. And then um, we have a lot of plans coming up. But I feel like we hang our hats on the experience and immersion of the culture of whatever that camp is involved in. And we try really hard to make sure that the separation between each one of the camps really feels like it's, it's a part of its own, like mm-hmm. authentic, it's got authenticity in its own lane, you know? Mm. So and what, one thing to acknowledge to Jamie Weller who built the whole skate setup from like starting from just little nuggets here and there to just this, masterpiece of a, of a concrete jungle of indoor and outdoor skate park man just kudos to jamie for for making that like it's almost like his life's work of you know right it's in such a special place right when you walk into bob it's got like there's a plaque it's like dedicated it's like dude what happened to jamie <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like did he die no no dude it's like it's seriously he built one of the best skate parks in the world and like that whole campus has his fingerprints on it mm-hmm. so it's I mean, we, he's, you know, he's, he left, uh, the organization about a year ago and, you know, we all miss him for sure. Mm-hmm. He's just his, his brain and how he looked at skateboarding. Just awesome. Like mm-hmm. office guy slash pro. That's the thing about our like campus is there's pretty much there for everyone. Like there's not some giant vert ramp or this giant, like huge bowl that you're going to skate. Like pros go there and dude, you can find whatever you need to find it's like we talk about those little tranny finders they're everywhere so like it just depends on like how good are you mm-hmm. can you get to that <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like what are you gonna do and and then also too it's like the ongoing like you know the tally of like who did what on what <laughs> you know that goes on too so and we, the new things that get opened up from new pros and yeah um, how did we never see that that thing's been here for 15 years and yeah yeah that's so cool dude. I, I went there as a kid and uh that you guys used to have the big wooden vert ramp. Oh yeah. And then there was a mini ramp with the spine. And I remember skating it with Sean white when I was a kid, I think we were like the same age, but he was doing like heel flip indies and stuff. And you're like, damn dude, he was good. Vert skater. Yep. Do you remember that? Were you there with a bowl? There was a wooden bowl back there too. Mm. Way back then. You remember the the wooden bowl? I skated that a few times. Still got a scar over here for that thing. (laughs) Um, soft wood, a lot of moisture, a lot of moisture in that lumber. Yep. Yep. All right, Silk D, I think it could be a good time to hit a Patreon question. Um, we got one from Benny P. Yeah, let's run it. Benny Pellegrino, a active Patreon member. Shout out we to Benny Pellegrino. Support. Bobby, what's more scary, diving into a small, shallow pool from 75 feet up in the air or running Nike snowboarding? Well, <laughs> let me see. That's an t- easy question. I'd say uh, Nike snowboarding was definitely more scary for me. <clears throat> the act of like, well, I don't know. When, when I first, the first time I ever jumped from from that high in the air was pretty fucking scary. Especially to, well, you work your way up like by 10, 10 foot increments. Like you just kind of like keep moving the ladder up, up higher and higher. But there's a level of like everything you get comfortable with certain things. 
So <clears throat> when you're climbing up the high dive ladder at some point, it, you go from like death grip, like so slow, just, oh my God, oh my God, what am I doing? To, hey, what's up dudes? Like the top, no problem, fully comfortable, you can do whatever. So um, that's kind of how, how Nike was a little bit so to say, like in the beginning, you were, I was obviously like, like, whoa, my God, what am I getting into? What did I just do? You know, um, level of excitement, super high level of, uh, I wouldn't say my hesitation was very high, but like, I don't know, it just seemed very uh, um, uncharted territory for me. And so I wouldn't say I was scared, but I was definitely like apprehensive. Tight grit. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We got another Patreon. Uh, maybe hit that first one, Silk D. Yep. This one's from Carter Bub. Bobby's Instagram is so sick. Can you please explain your bio a little bit? Silk, what is his bio exactly? His bio is young snowboarder who used to travel the world turned old emailer whose emails now travel the world. Well, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory. I, I uh, sit behind a computer for the most part now. But when I was young, as a professional snowboarder, I traveled uh, all over the world. And, um, and now my emails travel all over the world, and I still sit in my chair and uh, wish that I was with my emails. So mm-hmm. not similar satisfaction. No, not quite. No, no. Um, I do get to travel a little bit still, so I'm kind of psyched about mm-hmm. that. You know, like uh, we did like a work trip. We were camped uh, to England recently uh last year went to uh uh we went to the um oh shit what am i thinking uh we went to stonehenge which was kind of sick uh just kind of going back to that point about experience all right so we were like heading over there had hitting some like places that we thought would be like a, a good representation of experience like what what it's like for a consumer to go there so it's a little bit of a work trip but also kind of a like a celebration bonding trip for our marketing team uh <clears throat> but yeah, <laughs> you need some water, Bob. Oh uh, yeah, <clears throat> we got. Uh, I'm crying inside about my not being able to travel. So. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Mm-hmm. I also noticed in working with you that you seem like really efficient as a as a business person. You're like, well, check my calendar. I have these slots available, you know, and we can talk then. And you're like, when you you email, it's like really organized. You know, Jones and I, we run like I run a pretty loose program. Uh, but it seems like you're you're like very efficient with your time management. You dude, you probably I've you're the second person to ever tell me that because first one was in like second grade or something. I got a I got like an award for t- t- using time wisely. <laughs> and then wow. this time right now, like for me personally, I feel like I'm like the I'm horrible at it mm. and I need to get better at it. But I've, you know, it's like you're desensitized to it. So like over the years of just, you know, going through the, the Nike situation and DC and business and, and working in a, in a, you know, a well-functioning, well-oiled machine. Um, yeah, you have to get organized and you got to like, you know, you got to have your calendar correct. You got to have like, you know, I, the one thing I hate is that you're like trying to book a meeting with somebody or Hey, let's talk. And then, you know, it's like, Oh, you book a meeting and they're like, Oh, I can't, I can't uh, at that time. We were like, well, I'm looking at your calendar right now. It's not, it says you're open. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got this thing going on. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm like, you're wasting my time and you're wasting yours. Like, what the hell? Um, I don't know. I just think that, like, I try to stay on top of it and be as 
as uh, I don't know efficient and put together as I can be for a ex pro snowboarder. But when I look at like me compared to someone who was like a Nike person or something like that, like I'm definitely not that put together. Mm-hmm. But Jones, have you you want to describe your calendar scene? Yeah, if I put it on the calendar, I'm sure to forget it. So I'm <laughs> I'm in this strange hybrid and then operating three different calendars too, from Outlook to you know, whatever it is, Google Gmail calendar and, and then Gmail. Gmail. Yeah. So I'm all over the place, but I just need to say it. If I say it out loud, I generally that's my calendar. Dude. Say it into existence, right? Speak it into existence. Yeah. Speak it into existence. We also we also didn't really talk about DC. What was your role over at DC? Uh, I basically was the uh, the director of the program um, for snowboarding. So I basically worked with um, I worked with the product team, sales team, just to make sure we're all on the same page and we're all like kind of steering in the right direction, same direction. Um, and you know, it's it's not like. The one thing I do enjoy about this kind of stuff is, like, it's not a dictatorship. I, the, I don't like to be in a dictatorship. I don't like it when it's, like, just me or someone calling the shots. I really like to work with a team, and and I can orchestrate the team. I'm fine with that, but I don't like it when it's, like, you know, it's, like, you know, when people take pride about their, like, uh, you know, I run this shit, you know, like, whatever. Like, to me, it's, like, it takes, it takes a, you know, a whole, a whole team to get the, the boat to move, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, DC, I worked with, uh, I worked with, uh, you know, the product team, Dave Appel, uh, kick-ass dude, that dude, um, worked on some, some great snowboard boots. I mean, and then, uh, and, and, uh, snowboards as well. And then, uh, Rob Almeida, who has since moved on from DC as well, uh, for um, apparel. And then a couple of sales guys like Keo and, uh, um, yeah, it's a couple other dudes, but um, what about Bruceman? Ika? Well, if you're looking, at, if you're talking about team wise, like, hey, like, I think the team snowboarding team was awesome. And Ika's like, dude, to see his growth over the last few years when I was at DC, it's awesome, man. Like, you know, the time comes for all of us. Like, eventually, mm-hmm. you're you're gonna have to move on, and like to be able to set yourself up and to to one to be to be ready to do it to know that it's coming, uh, the self-awareness of that. Um, I think that that's um, a nice quality to have um, because it's just like you, you can't do it forever. You just can't. I mean, some people do it. I mean, it seems like Terry keeps doing it forever or, or something. You know, that's a status of like not a lot of people have that status and and, uh, and Jamie, you know. But for the most part, or Chad Otterstrom, I guess, he seems to be doing it forever as well. But uh for the most part, you know, it comes for all of us. Like it's just like death, <laughs> you know. Death mm-hmm. of your snowboard career is going to happen. You just got to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when I look at like like someone like Ika, who's like, you know, clearly taken you know the team into his hands and and uh, embraced that role over there, and still is able to go out and and be one of their top riders as well. It's like a good quality. Mm-hmm. Kudos Absolutely. To, yeah. Kudos yeah. to him. The Grim Reaper of snowboard careers is chasing everybody down. <laughs> it it is. really is, dude. It is. I mean, there's no escaping it, dude. It doesn't no. matter. You're just going to you're gonna get a hit at some point. And any self-awareness at all, it's knocking from day one. Like, the Reapers wants in quick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the Reaper comes from all angles. 
As soon as you get a seat at the table, the reapers get there to try oh, to take yeah. it away. It's a steady, they're ju- building steady your dodge. Coffin. They're building your coffin. You can just hear it knocking all it's the time. It's true. Dude, yeah. you're, like... you're, you're two of that three-year contract. Like, the walls are up, you know? Dude. I'll go get the nails. You pick up the nails yeah. yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny. It's like it's basically the not only the death of, like, your snowboarding career in a way, but it's also the death of no responsibility. Oh, really, yeah. you know what I mean? Shit, like those right. are the days, like when oh you just god. didn't have to worry about anything. Oh my god, just your. Trick. Let me let me yeah. check what I got on the calendar. It's June. Well, let me see. What I got yeah nothing for the next three months. I don't have a single thing on there. <laughs> Not a single thing to do, dude. I didn't even pay attention to like the calendar at all when I was like snowboarding. Yeah. I literally knew there was winter, spring, and summer. Like, I didn't care about fall. Like, fall is part of summer, right? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, like, wasn't, like, it, it was just, like, I didn't think of it in any way other than, like, there's time on your snowboard and there's time wearing Speedos. That's, like, <laughs> what? That was it. <laughs> you know? There was time being a pirate, you know? Oh, I heard about this. <laughs> and then there's time. I, I heard I heard yeah, in I, these pirate shows you had to do a voice. Oh, you want to hear the spiel? Yes, I do. Oh, yes. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, here we go. Like, sometimes I'd have to be the announcer and, like, I... I hated doing the announcer actually, but I was kind of good at it, and so like I, I was better at a high, I was better at high diving than I was at being an announcer. But most of the time, we didn't have an announcer. We needed an announcer, so I'd always have to do it. But okay, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Magic Mountain. My name is Bobby. I'll be your host for today's show. But before we get started, I've got one question for you: Are you guys having a good time at the show so far? All right, well, to continue that fun, I'm going to tell you about the days of old when pirates sailed the seven seas. They were in a place of, they were in search of a place called Treasure Island, where chests filled with gold and jewels were buried in the sand. Now, the good ship Maribel set sail for Treasure Island under the command of the brave Captain Kidd and his fearless band of pirates. <laughs> no way. How often do you say that? You seem to have that kind of stone carved into your brain. <laughs> yeah. That was not rusty. Well, dude, I, I, yeah, I've always had to like, you had to memorize these spiels. You know, we used to do like hillbilly ones, and like, and I mean, the, every every one of those high dive shows has a theme to it, right? So there's like, oh, it's the high dive show. It's the all American high diving team where you just come out with American flag speedos on and be that dude, you know? Like, um, and then there's like the pirate shows, and and I don't know. There was a time I was a magician's assistant. Just at a pirate show, I was like, "Oh, okay, cool. I'm gonna. We need we need someone to pop out of a box when we like, <laughs> you know, like a rabbit almost." And I did that for like a week <laughs> during my breaks, like from diving. That was kind of tight. Uh, wow. I'd like get into these little in this little c- cubby, you know, in, the, in this like weird uh, glass box, and then they'd be like, "Oh, abracadabra, poof!" And then I'd be pop up out of there and like my my. Um, a sequence shirt and like and everything. Outside of the themes, did you have a like a go to speedo, like a lucky speedo, <laughs> the one that was just gonna like merc the show for you? Um, they were all just mostly black, black speedos mostly. But you had to wear multiple speedos. You couldn't just wear one if you were high diving. Like for the most part, you can explode them. You know, I've, I've definitely up. hit the water hard enough and blown my speedo apart. Yeah. And so, like, you kind of got to sit in the water for a while until the show's over when that happens. Did you ever pack crotch, throw a little kielbasa in there? No, but I will tell you, um, from that high, when you hit the water, if you are not completely tight 
butt cheeks squeezed mm. uh, tight, you will get a nice enema. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Ever have, like rip rip butthole or oh, like yeah, rip sh- open sack or anything Shot like bloody that? water out of my butthole. Oh, God. Yowzers. Yeah. Um, yeah from yeah. that Ooh. height, it gets, uh, it gets pretty... It gets pretty uh, harsh from that height. Wow, it's good to know. There's blood in the water. Yeah, pretty much. Um, blood, gasoline. Get the bleach. Well, dude, in, in some of them. Sometimes you do those dive shows into salt water, mm. and salt water's cold because it's like the dolphin show, right? So, mm. like at Magic Mountain, I used to do the dive show with dolphins, and so like we would go in the backstage and we'd share the backstage with the dolphins, and there'd be a little tank back there, and they'd be swimming around, and you'd all of a sudden you walk by and get wham smacked in the head, and you're like, what the fuck? And it's like with the a football and and then you'd be like a dolphin just like <laughs> and you know it's like wants to play catch with you you know and you're like I'm not supposed to do this but here you go and they, they would jump up grab the football bring it down in the water and then shoot it at you from, from the pressure oh use the yeah, yeah and then it the... would just be like right at you and they just it was like a dog playing fetch dude they just loved it um, but wow swoon uh, with dolphins yeah, Plan B. You always got you always got the the high dive career to fall yeah. back on. Well, that's what that's how I originally was like. I had the high dive career to fall back on, and then I got a call from from Nemo about the Nike thing. So that's how <laughs> that's how it worked. What a journey! What a journey! All right, Bobby, it's time to get into the pub beer crapshoot. Uh, we're gonna have you roll some dice, and whatever it lands on, we're gonna ask you a question. So it's uh, it's time to roll some dice for some cheap fun presented by Pub Beer. No matter what you're doing, cracking open a pub beer for some cheap fun is always a safe bet. So, take these, roll them up, and I'll tell you what you gotta do. All right, here we go. Come on, snake eyes. Four. Four, what is one of your worst bails? All right, one of my worst bails, um, my worst bail has to be uh, me putting my teeth into my knee joint. Came up short. Uh, from a frontside three off of a cliff in Colorado, which it was kind of flat anyway, and it was just uh, we were killing time at MT this MTV event, and I was supposed to be there to get on M- like back in the day when MTV was like a thing, and and uh, there was like we found this pretty sick little drop to to hit, and uh, I came up about two seventy three hundred of short and uh, hit really hard. Uh, put my teeth into my knee joint and was stunned. I was just down there like, what the fuck? Like, oh my God. Uh, I was like, I could feel like my teeth were fucked up. They were like cut backwards and sheared back. My lip was hanging off the side, uh, split down the middle, one side hanging this way, the other one hanging that way. Um, and then I didn't even know about my knee at the time. I was just like so stunned and I was like, I need to go down to the, like, I need to go down now. And so I head down, and when I'm heading down, I'm like, God damn, my knee fucking hurts. Like, oh, and I, I'm just, like, holding snow on my face the whole time. And then um, by the time I got, like, halfway down, my boot was wet. And I was like, what, what the hell's wrong? I'm like, my feet feel wet. And uh, and then I just, like, I put two and two together real quick, and I was like, oh, my God. I looked down. It's the first time I looked down because I was, like, so focused and in shock from my face. Uh, I looked down, and I could just see this rip in my knee, um, like in my snowboard pants, that was exactly shaped uh, the same shape as my teeth. And uh, I basically put my teeth into my knee joint, chipped my femur with my teeth, broke my teeth off into my knee, and, uh, and yeah, it was a... Uh, 
spent three days in the hospital, had surgery, lip surgery immediately happened, and then I had knee surgery later, and then they had to um, keep it open for a while, which was kind of crazy. Like, so I had three days of sitting there with, like, tubes in my knee just to, like, to drain it because it's, like, an oral an oral injury, so there's a lot of, a lot of chance of infection for that. And so I had to sit there, and just while I was sitting there, Travis Wood and everybody else who was, like, part of this MTV shoot was out hanging with the VJs and like partying and like, I'm just sitting in the hospital bed, just completely constipated and going like, dude, what the fuck, man? Um, so that is like my, my, uh, yeah, that's probably my worst injury. Two teeth in your mm-hmm. embedded in your leg. Yeah. Yeah. They had to pull out the, the chunks. I exposed to like the, my capsule as well. Oh, and so wow. yeah, I was like, kind of a kind of rough one. I will say, though, I did have an injury that did, wasn't, like, it was my best injury. Can I say my best yeah, injury? Yeah, let's do the yeah. best injury. Want to hear my best injury? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, when I was just started snowboarding, I had an AC separation on my shoulder. I'm sure all snowboarders are familiar with that. This yeah. one was fucking massive, stuck out a lot, like, deformative, if that's a word. Kind of really, really ugly uh, bone. The only way to fix it was to have surgery or whatever. Nixon jib fest. Hang up on a back lip. Flew backwards. Broke my collarbone, but it broke it in a wet tree branch, and so it stayed. It's oops, stayed together, but wet tree branch break and fixed it. So mm. I basically it's it's never been touched since then. I completely fixed my wow. Reset it. Yeah, reset it and everything. And it just calcified and yeah, grew it's over. All great. I can throw again. I can do whatever now. See, dude, the Nixon jib fest. It Nixon, produced. Dude, Nixon yeah, no jib skirting fest. on the rail. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. That was Did you make it? So we got the photo of you on the circle rail. Did you make it all the way around? I thing? made it around that thing. God damn it! I made that whole rail, and I did not get a shot in that. Chico. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. I remember Chico. Uh, Brian Thien is a spotlight stealer. Really, dude. And he didn't even make it all the way. Yeah. Either. Yeah. Not really a shot because I'm one of the big, eh, kind of a shot, one of the biggest fans. But I got a cover on that thing. That's right. Yeah, did yeah. you make it or you fiftied it? No, I never. I mean, I I fiftied it from um, lip to lip, same way that Chico boarded it. Yeah, yeah. but it, I mean, lip to other lip. Yep. Did you make it to the original lip? I made it all the way around. He made it all the way around. Yeah, he did full. Where's cert. the footage, D- dude? You you tell me. <laughs> Practice day. Yeah. I don't oh, think I don't think no, the shot Bobby. got. Yeah. I don't think Bobby. the shot's there. I was yeah. king of practice, so I did a lot of <laughs> shit in practice. <laughs> I'm telling you, Whitey used to tear his fucking hair out about me mm-hmm. because I would lay, like it's, I would try tricks over and over and over again, and then he would put his camera down. And as soon as he put his camera down, it was like, like every time, shut down. Man, you know? things could have been different if you did that for you. If you did that circle rail on I'm the comp day, yeah. you know. Also, that he Brian also had a uh, Chico also had that uh, that behind that rail that was behind the school out here. He Union, cover on, the he union. got the cover. Yeah. I was the first one to do it. I did it too, that same night, but I didn't have the jacket that Brian had, and so he got the cover shot. Dude, Oops. I'm telling you, he's a that he comes that in one. and just yeah. swoops in, mm. all all good looking. And Grant, that's I was gonna say, like, dude yeah. was good looking and had really good style. Yeah, good and that's style. The thing that just dude. style mattered. He just came in and just stole shots from if, underneath. If your... Chico wasn't around, things could have been really different for you in your career. Yeah, it would have been. Um, yeah, I would have made at least 
a grand more. At least two more highlights, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Could have been on the Forum 8, you know? Yeah. Who knows? Could have been Forum 9. Forum 9. It could have been the Forum 9 if Chico didn't steal your thunder. Uh, All right, let's so. get into hot takes here. Uh, we like to ask on this show, um, you know, as it pertains to you, not necessarily statistically, but it's it's kind of your goat. Who is your greatest of all time or Michael Jordan? However you want to take this question, both male and female. Uh, greatest of all time. Um, tough question. I have trying to think about this, <clears throat> and I don't have a solid... I, I don't know. It's like, I think my, my greatest of all time probably at this point is I look at it as in like what kind of influence they had on my life and like in snowboarding. So I think probably greatest all time for me is Jamie, even though he wasn't probably the most technical snowboarder, but at the time he was a fucking rock star. And also I think second, probably in that too, is like their neck and neck would be brushy. Like brushy was like my first kind of hero. So, you know, went up to the mountain, there was snow, (laughs) you know, Burton chill video, dude, he was like the, one of the first that just had that skate style and, you know, he had the dreads, and he was just, like, boning the shit out of everything. So I think Jamie and Brushy, they're going to share the trophy for me. And then for female? Um, female. Ooh. Uh, who is my female? Probably Barrett Christie. I mean, dude, she's fucking awesome. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Great answer. All right. Would you consider snowboarding an art or a sport? Uh, it's definitely an art. Yeah. It's got a creative form to it. That's for sure. You don't have to be the best, the best athlete to uh, to be have a really successful career or influence the at the sport of snowboarding. Mm-hmm. Like that answer. Um, most underrated. Um, uh, Dustin Craven. Hmm. Great answer. Yeah, Dustin Craven's probably most un- underrated. He had like. You know he has he has his moment he had his moments or whatever but god damn that kid's a good talented snowboarder he's kind of getting his shine now yeah well, yeah through happy. natural selects and stuff but it's yeah. been so long though he was it like has. so underrated for so long that's a good one um, steel or powder powder favorite style um you know probably Jamie a giggy mm. best yeah. method best method Jamie. Oh, Ingmar. 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 I'm claiming Ingmar. Hmm. That, I'm claiming that photo of Ingmar on that uh, Rick Scranton quarter hmm. pipe. Dude, if I could just take that, bottle it up, and sell it, I'd be a billionaire. It's so good. <laughs> just that one moment. But the thing is, that whole clip is like, if you look at the whole clip, he's like just squirrely, super squirrely. But there's that moment, that gem in there that's just like, Oh yeah, Such it's a w- actually moment. one frame. Yeah, yeah. Wickberg filmed that, right? Yeah, uh, so everyone filmed that. Yeah, except for, uh, <laughs> except for <laughs> whoever's supposed to. Whoever. Yeah, it was yeah. exactly. Okay, your favorite video ever made? Snowboard video. Uh, hard, and hom- hard, hungry, and homeless. Thank you. Best favorite board graphic ever. Oh man. Best board graphic, uh, I think the most influential um, for me. Anyway, uh, I think I think I'm gonna go the uh, I don't know sword. I think maybe Terrier. Classic. Classic, classic. Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay, favorite band slash musical artist because I know you're Ooh. into that. 
Ooh, favorite band. Um, well, I'm going to go all time. I'll say The Cure. Solid. Um, okay. Dream sponsor. Dream sponsor. Oh, man. Who am I? Who do I want to get sponsored by right now? <laughs> to me, I would be like Home Depot, just to give you context. Dude, Home Depot would be fucking... I'm, I think I'm already sponsored. I'm definitely on their mailing list. <laughs> 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 they know me for sure. Um, probably Audi would be pretty good. Okay, hmm. uh, you go pants over the high back or under the high back? Um, I'm going to go uh, under the high back with pants. Okay. If you could go on a backcountry snowboarding trip in the heli with three people, good times. You're just wiggling down the mountain. You know, you're not trying to get bangers for robot food. Who are you taking in that heli? Which three people? Um, I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Blue Montgomery and Travis Parker. You get one more. I get one more. Yeah, you get one more. Ooh, you get one more. I take celebrities too. Just gonna throw that out there. Yeah. Take whatever uh, you want. Uh, I'm gonna take um Young Dolly took Mike Tyson. Really? Yeah. There's a couple politicians I'd take just to send him off a cliff. Tell him <laughs> it was good. Just <laughs> just to give you some context. <laughs> hey, check it out. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's deep. Oh, that's great. Um, I think I'm gonna go uh dude, I don't know, to be honest. I'm gonna go with uh Boring answers right now. What am I going with? Um, Andy Wright. Great answer. I'm just thinking homies. Like I like it. I don't really put the too much. It's funny, you know. Like, sorry, I'm interrupting the whole no, flow of this right now. But like, there's there's something about like pro meeting like pro skateboarders or like the admiration before like a professional snowboarder or a professional skateboarder versus like a movie star to me or something like. I don't really have the like, oh my God, oh my God, that's what's his name. Oh, mm. but when I meet like a pro skater or something, I totally fan out. Like, I'm just like such a fan and like get nervous and shit. I but, understand that yeah. totally. Okay. Uh, last question. Worst trend. I got three answers for you. It's um, snowboarding with your pants above your boots. I think that is the worst style I've ever seen in snowboarding because like, there are times where snowboarding can be very rollerblady, and that totally accentuates like the rollerblader style. And I'm just not a fan of that at all. I just not. So that's like my worst, the worst trend, I think. And then the second trend is you're gonna kill me for this one, but it's the do rag trend that happened. Not <laughs> like the do rag. Do not I like ran the do rag. <laughs> did you? I hated it. <laughs> Uh, a towel, towel head. I did not like the towel head. And then the third, this is very relevant for today, is uh, hula hoop riding. I hate over exaggerating your turns. Mm, <laughs> like, great answer, dude. N- dude, it's not that hard. It. I mean, like you're doing a couple turns. It doesn't have to be like you're breaking your back, flopping around. Your hands are all in the air, and you're doing such crazy style. And you're like, oh, I did a backside turn, and then you're over to your front side dude, turn. Dude. You're moving around like I, I don't know. Just like that's my that's my three three peeves. I hadn't heard that term. I like that hula hoop riding is a great. Yeah, it's not your real style. Yeah. No, it's not. It's it's, it's not. manufactured. It's, yeah, hundred percent. I hate it. Wow, way Back to call, way to uh, way to call that one out.
Take notes, people. Okay, uh, we're going to get into uh, setups. What board are you riding? I am riding a Capita Navigator. Great board. I love it. Me too. Dude, it, it, it like handles everything. Everything. You can put it on anything. Um, and then I just got a Spring Break Powder Racer. Wrote it um, up in, uh, in Canada this last winter. And oh my God. Where were these boards when, like, we, when I was like riding pro? I'm like, dude, I would have landed at least two more tricks. This stuff, but are, are these both tapered boards, like full powder boards? What's the Navigator? Navigator is right familiar. The yellow one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, got it's it. a. It's got camber underneath the bindings, and then it uh, levels out <coughs> on the tail, and then mm-hmm. a little little uh, reverse camber. For it's a nice nose. shape. But it's got great. That thing turns like a sh- like a like a fucking on a edge or whatever. It's like so. Maybe I'll turn on it. No hula hoop, but it's yeah. but it's There's not no hula hoops needed. No. It's not hooky. It's not hooky though. It's like yeah. turns good, but it's not hooky. Got it. Yeah, it like carves really good. Um, and then it's like you can jump on that thing too, like and it handles powder like no problem. It's a floater. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and then strata bindings, Munion. Um, I'm still riding DC boots, um, and, uh, and that's pretty much it. Anything funky with your setup? You do forward lean. I do a little bit of forward lean. Um, not a lot. I think it's like. Not too much. I don't know what the, what the degree it is on it. Can't read those things at half the time anyway. They're like either broken or they're like, I don't know, flip flopped or something. But um, I just a little bit, little more in the back than I do the front. <clears throat> Whatever, kind of it mostly feels like when I put the boot into the into my binding. Like whatever kind of closes the gap is kind of where I put like the, the forward lean. That's a good tech. All right. So what's next for Bobby Meeks? Um, five o'clock flight. <laughs> That's pretty much, pretty much it. I'll go back uh, to Portland. You gonna chug some saline before the flight, or? Yeah, I'm not gonna be doing that anymore. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> maybe I will just for shits and giggles. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> some shits and giggles. Some giggly shits. Um, yeah, but I gotta head back and start planning for next year, for next summer, snowboard camps, locking down brands, making sure that your guys' signature session for next year is locked in. And, uh, yeah, we're happy to come back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just kidding. You don't have to have that over there. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. Just go back into the office and, like, for the most part, try to enjoy a little bit of my summer left. Um, I don't get a lot of summer, which is really weird for me nowadays. <clears throat> now I work in the summer, which is, like, totally off season. So enjoy the rest of that. Do some camping with the dog and, and uh Andy and his his family situation and my family situation, even though we don't have kids, dogs are kids. But um yeah, just go back and start, you know, rinse and repeat. Awesome. Love that. Um lastly, thank yous before we wrap it up. Uh just I just don't I don't call anyone specifically, but thank you for any well, <clears throat> uh I think just in general, like anyone who helped me out along the way. I especially want to thank my my aunt and my uncle, you know, uh, for helping me along my, or supporting me along my journey. So um, kudos to them. Uh, aunt's no longer around, but my uncle, solid family, thank them. And then uh, any one of my friends who's just really helped me and given me the opportunity through life and anyone who's helped me out through that. And hopefully at some point I've returned the favor and, uh, you know, maybe they'll be thanking me one day up here. Well, Bobby, we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, really inspirational story of you beating the odds and, and making your way in snowboarding and, and doing everything you've done for our culture. So we want to say thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Bobby. Yeah, and thank you guys for what you do. I mean, this is like 
you guys are like, there doesn't get any better. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, Bobby. Appreciate that. And Jones, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Silk D on the boards, hitting buttons. It's my job. Yep, killing it. Nice work, Silk D. And most importantly, everybody that tunes in, listens, supports the show, uh, Patreon members, sponsors, you guys kick ass. Remember, we got a signed print of Bobby. If you want that hanging on your wall, check out andywrightphoto.com. And uh, appreciate everybody that tunes in. Over and out from the bomb hole.